Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 5th, 2022, including Embracer Group have agreed to buy Square Enix's Western developers, including Perfect Dark co-developer Crystal Dynamics. Xbox have announced their summer showcase where we will learn all about the latest games coming to the platform. Modern Warfare 2 is coming, and more. as a reminder in this week in xbox history Raystorm hd launched on as an xbox live arcade release for the xbox 360 in the year 2010 that was the u.s launch not sure what that game is or where else it launched but hey that's what happened this week in xbox back in 2010 guys welcome to episode 152 of the xbox on podcast my name is jesse as at the top of the show i'm your host but i like to think that in the xbox on world we are all the hosts, because you have the autonomy and the power to ride in and steer this ship in any direction you so choose, which which we'll, we'll get into it when we get to the comments. Hold your wads. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. You're getting a little ahead of yourself. We'll get to your part. Let's talk about the updates, the corrections, things of mild amusement, stories of mild amusement that are a nice little way for us to ease into this week's show. Now, I'm in a good mood this week. I'm in a podcast mood. You might recall last week, I was like, whoa, I was just in paradise over at the Universal Volcano Bay, and now I'm recording a podcast. This week, I'm coming from work to podcast. I couldn't be more excited to uh, not be at work and instead talking about Xbox. So that said, guys, got some exciting news, some Call of Duty news, some big acquisition news, some Xbox E3-esque news. I'm, I'm excited to share it to you. I know none of you guys knew any of this shit is happening, and you solely rely on this podcast to give you all the information. So would you, wouldn't you know it? If an EMP goes off, I have it on good authority that Xbox On is the only thing on the entire internet that will go unaffected. I mean, the show is, for better or worse, preserved for the rest of eternity. All right, enough, enough bullshitting around, guys. At the top of the show, for corrections, updates, this is an update, uh, stories of mild amusement, we have to talk about the latest development in Activision Blizzard. Now, generally, when this story is something that's pretty relevant to video games, or, or more specifically, like, something that we as just casual, like, fans of video games would, would be able to understand and make sense of, we'll try to dive into it, but when it gets more into, like, the legality of the situation, I'm not going to sit here and waste your time trying to pretend like I can analyze these things and be an expert, so for the sake of covering the news, but not necessarily um, speaking on behalf of something I'm not even remotely qualified to speak on, uh, we're just going to go through these up, this week's updates, because there's quite a few things happening and developing with this ongoing Activision situation, what with the lawsuits and with the acquisition with Microsoft, but uh, I'm qualified to really analyze none of this because it is straight clean over the head of someone whose brain has pretty much, you know, like my my, my brain is like 50% the ability to recite Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and 50% the entire track list of Guitar Hero World Tour. Like the rest of my brain, there's just, there's just no more space for like learning something useful, so... 
All right, VGC is going to catch us up today, guys. So we got three parts to this, to, well, three different stories to update us on the Activision situation since we last met a week ago. That's how frequently this shit is changing. But a lawsuit from New York City officials have accused Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick of rushing to sell the company to Microsoft in a bid to escape liability of wrongdoing and realize significant bonuses and to realize significant bonuses as reported by Axios this week. The lawsuit was filed on April 26 by the New York city employees, retirement system and pension funds for the city's firefighters, police force and teachers. The plaintiffs who own Activision Blizzard stock filed the lawsuit in a bid to gain access to the corporate books and records, which they believe could expose Kotick and its board of directors to misconduct that has, that has depressed the company's share price. They originally began seeking access to internal Activision and Blizzard documents last October after Call of Duty and World of Warcraft publisher was sued by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing over its failure to handle sexual harassment and discrimination against female employees. Now, plaintiffs who were, see- who were seeking to determine what Kodak knew about the sexual misconduct at Activision and uh, the pretext to suing him and his fellow board members for allegedly devaluing the company. Now, that's the first development. The second part of, uh, of, of what we've learned about Activision this week is that Activision Blizzard stockholders are now voting to approve Microsoft's acquisition of the company. More than 98% of shares voted at a special meeting uh, this past week were in favor of the proposed transaction, meaning that if, if you know, in, in their opinion, it is uh, something that should go through. It is a favorable decision, and Microsoft's acquisition of Activision has just gone that much smoother. Now, CEO Bobby Kotick was quoted saying, Overwhelming uh, today's overwhelming support by a vote of our stockholders confirms our shared belief that combined with Microsoft, we will be even better positioned to create value for our players, even greater opportunities for employees, and continue to focus on becoming an inspiring example of welcoming, respectful, and inclusive workplace. Doesn't that just sound not at all like a PR response to something going on? This does not yet mean that the deal will go through, of course, because it's still subject to investigation by the FTC. And so that's part two of, of the new developments now there's a lot of a lot of like um, Kotaku type reporting going on around. Not not to say it's illegitimate reporting, but just to say sites like that reporting that apparently there a lot of people don't believe this deal is going to go through, and that's reflective of the stock price. And and you're seeing a lot of divide among pundits as to whether or not they think this this deal is dead in the water, or if uh, the stock price is entirely or or in, yeah completely unrelated to uh, the transaction itself in terms of uh, one one suggesting an outcome of the other. But again, not qualified enough to really speak on this. So wrapping up with our final update regarding Activision Blizzard, and thankfully we'll get into the fun news after this. Activision Blizzard have told its shareholders that they should vote against proposals that it make a report on the company's efforts to prevent harassment and discrimination. So the company will be holding an annual meeting to shareholders on June 21st this year, and they sent a notice to shareholders advising them of five proposals that will be voted on at the meeting. This is reported by Axios as well. Of the five proposals, the board has recommended that the shareholders approve three election of uh, of its director's approval of executive compensation and ratification of the company's public accounting firm. However, it is also re- uh, recommended that they vote against the proposal, the nomination of an employee representation representative director, and the preparation of a report about the company's efforts to prevent abuse, harassment, and discrimination. So just to read that again, corporate is recommending to shareholders that they vote against a proposal uh, that is the preparation and report of the company's efforts to prevent abuse, harassment, and discrimination, and and to vote against the nomination of an employee representative director. So that's awesome. Speaking out of both sides of your mouth, uh, lastly, the, the recording of the document 
the latter of which was submitted by the New York State State Common Retirement Fund, uh, which is over 1.5 million shares in the company, currently valued at around $121 million. That makes no sense to me. So we'll end it there. And uh, I'm sure to some of you guys with larger brains than mine, you can make a little more sense out of that. But there's your Activision update for the week. We wouldn't have to follow them as closely if it weren't for the fact that Microsoft was like, huh, yeah, we'd like to sully our brand by uh, becoming part of, by having this become part of our culture. But whatever, green is good. All right, with that, that's actually all the not fun to talk about news we have. So now we get to get into the juicy shit. Here are some update stories of mild amusement that I think will actually be fun to think about and discuss. So Skull and Bones, uh, you might remember this as a game that was announced maybe like five, seven years ago. I think realistically it was like five years ago. Anyway, we got an update on it. A leaked Skull and Bones video provides an overview of what players can expect from Ubisoft Singapore's upcoming pirate adventure. According to a six-minute video, which was viewable uh, this week online, it was leaked. It shows the... According to a six-minute video, which is viewable uh, online right now, the game is set in a world that is inspired by the Indian Ocean during a global age of piracy. Players begin their journey as underdogs who go on a goal to become the most infamous pirates in the whole sea. They start off with a small trading vessel, but build and progress their way to infamy as their level rises, and they can craft bigger and stronger ships with different unique playstyles. In February, Ubisoft reiterated that the long-delayed game will be releasing during fiscal year, uh, which end, the fiscal year which ends in March of next year, and said that the title is now a multiplayer first title. CFO Frederick Duguet provided an update on the project. Uh, the new direction of the project during the publisher's latest earnings call following the reboot of the game, which was uh, it was rebooted two years ago. So this game continues, in my opinion, to be vaporware until it is out and about. This, t- Honestly, I, whatever, this game, I have zero interest in Skull and Bones. The first time they ever announced it, I was like, oh, maybe this would be interesting. I love pirates. I love that kind of setting. Um, and then I realized immediately it was going to be like a Ubisoft kind of like, I'm like, oh, they're going to focus on ship battle. Oh, they're going to focus on like, Probably like crafting and open world shit and player. Um, okay, whatever. I just want a cool pirate adventure game. Anyway, so I immediately lost interest. Haven't ever really cared since, but have enjoyed watching. Well, not enjoyed. It's it's sad for the developers who probably poured a lot of effort into these, this game. But just watching the game get handed from one studio to another, scrapped, rebooted, scrapped, rebooted, promised, not released, delayed again. I mean, just watching this game be essentially vaporware. My only thing I had to say about Skull and Bones is, listen, I don't know if this game's for anyone. It seems like no one ever gives a shit about it anytime it does surface and people do talk about it. And, you know, I hope you know I, you hope to be wrong. You hope that the game comes out, ends up being a massive hit. The developers are w- rewarded handsomely for their hard work and years and years of patience and effort. And that maybe this is the next hit for Ubisoft. And, you know, all good things. That's, that's, what, that's what you hope, right? But I don't see this being like Sea of Thieves where it was like, oh, man, who's this game really for? And then it came out and it kind of slowly but surely just garnered a a bigger and bigger and bigger audience until it became a pretty big game. I I see Skull and Bones being a thing that is just a a belabored, long in development, just impossible to think it's ever kind of coming sort of game until it finally comes out one day and then it's done and no one ever talks about it, no one ever thinks about it. It reviews mediocre to okay and it just is what it is. And then we move on, sells poorly, and... Ubisoft has to just erase, the, you know, kind of forget about it and move on with whatever's next. The only other game really that we know of that's in kind of development hell that really reminds me of Skull and Bones the way, you, you know, that's just as as just beleaguered as this is, is um, is Dead Island 2. Just watching that game constantly get shifted from one studio to another, delayed, 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 clearly no one cares about 
Dying Light is way better. Uh, the original developers and creators of Dead Island have since moved on to a way better franchise. It's just like this this game exists. It's shovelware. Are we ever really going to get it? I don't know. You, you hope to be wrong. You hope it turns out well. But <laughs> Skull and Bones, I think the best they could do really at this point would just be to stay completely fucking silent until you're ready to release the game. But they chose to do this instead. All right, our final little small update and story. I found this one very, very interesting. So uh, Yuji Naka, the for those who don't recall based on name, he's the creator, longtime Sega talent, creator behind Sonic the Hedgehog. So obviously a name I'm very familiar with, someone who is very uh, important to me in my heart as a elite gamer. Uh, but Yuji Naka, he took to Twitter this, this week and basically just like kind of tweeted some like really revealing truthful shit uh actually really interesting how much insight he was able or comfortable with with just sharing in on a public forum like twitter but uh, he he basically spoke out about how he was removed six months before balan wonderland came out now for those who need a refresher balan wonderland is a square enix published game that came out last spring developed by yuji naka headed by a new team that he that that ex-Sonic creator uh, was leading within Square Enix to try and create like a younger audience platformer type game, like a Billy Hatchet, Sonic the Hedgehog type, kitty to, you know, teenage kind of platforming game. But obviously the game came out, it was a total piece of shit, completely underdeveloped, embarrassingly bad. The only thing you can find online about Balan Wonderland is just videos harping on just what a terrible game it is. But Yuji Naka goes into detail about how he was basically removed from the project six months before it was released. And it was just a whole lot about basically this whole kerfuffle between him and Square Enix where they were mad about all this stuff involving the music of the game and his involvement with the project and the, and this uh, co-developer and everything involved with it. And basically he was just removed from the project during what he kind of describes as like the most critical months of the development, that final stretch and how it sucks because they kind of dragged his name in a way with this project because the whole, you know, brand new IP really out of left field kind of game for Square Enix a genre that we don't see a lot in the games industry and how really the thing that was attached to Balan wonder wonder world was that it is a new game from the guy who brought you Sonic the Hedgehog. And so his name is so heavily associated with this project that he felt like, you know, he got removed from and pulled from before he was able to really help it fully realize. And now it's just this meme in a failure of a game that is just heavily associated with him and tarnishes his brand and his name going forward. And it's just, it's a really interesting read. Um, it, I, I recommend if you have any interest in this at, at all, that you read into the tweets and the stories about it. It's, um, I won't get into it much much further, but it sucks, man. It's uh, Yuji Naka, I, I, as a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan and someone who has a, an immense amount of respect for this man, and obviously I owe a great deal uh, of gratitude to him because he's created one of my absolute all-time favorite pieces of fiction in the world. I absolutely adore Sonic the Hedgehog and that in that character in that world. If I'm just being honest, the guy's the guy has not had a great run um, since he left. He left Sega and Sonic Team. God, I think. The last one he technically worked on was like Sonic Heroes Shadow of the Hedgehog. So like 04, 05-ish, I think is when he left. And he worked on Billy Hatchet, Hatcher or whatever for the GameCube. And like that, those were kind of his last projects with Sega before he left. And then uh, I believe that's correct. And then, you know, he, he went on to work on a couple games he worked on. I forget the name of it, but it was a Wii game. And then it had a sequel on the Wii U. It's like Azure Sky or something like that. I forget what it's called, but those games didn't do well at all. They didn't review well at all. They weren't well received in, in any regard. Um, then he he did Battle in Wonder World, and that's that. We all know how that went, and 
just kind of sad to see such a, you know, obviously I'm not trying to say Yuji Naka is like Miyamoto for Sega, but in a way, you know, he created one of the most iconic franchises in the entire industry. And even though his influence as a creator and a developer hasn't influenced the games industry the way like Miyamoto did with Mario, it is important, at least for the time in which his work was the most relevant during those core Sega Genesis years, those early Sonic games, because, you know, like it or not, Sonic has a massive amount of influence over over a lot of gamers' childhood and a lot of a lot of just, you know, our, our conception of like what what popularized the home console market. And uh, he's an important figure. And it's just it's sad to see him kind of have that fall from grace and just not manage to really build something for himself after all this time being removed from Sega. But of course, you know, you wish him the best. He seems like a really good guy. I just, I, I, I feel it made me sad reading that, but anyway, interesting story. Something we're looking into if you are in remotely inclined, but guys with that, we're done with our top of the show updates, corrections and stories of mild amusement. Now I think we should jump into, come on, let's be honest. Everyone's favorite part of the show. It's the comments. You know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com um, slash Xbox on podcast. You click on the latest episode because if you click on any other episode, you're a fucking idiot. You get outdated news. And now you look like a dumb person from the past. And you're going to leave a comment. You can say something really nice like, Jesse, I want to let you know that last week you had a lot of energy and I thought you were on cocaine. But it was it was exhilarating and it was fun. Maybe you should quit your day job so you can have more energy. Or you can say something like, Jesse, I have two bottles of mystery drink in my hand. One of them is the last can of Mountain Dew Whiteout in existence, and I will give it to you as a massive Mountain Dew Whiteout fan uh, so you can enjoy this last drop of heaven. And the other one is, is, a, is, a, is a can of piss. And then I'm like, oh, shit. You're like, choose wisely because you can only have one. And then I pick one. And you're like, jinx, they're both piss. And then you pour pee all over my head. And then I'll be like, this isn't even a comment. This is an action. This is a thing you're doing to me. And it sucks. And I hate it. And I want to wake up from this nightmare. But whatever. If it's somehow a comment instead of uh, uh, a weird hypothetical thing that happens, then whatever. We'll read it on the show. Thank God that didn't happen. But our first comment of the week comes from my brother, Josiah Cronky, Mr. Cronky. Brayson says, technically episode 151 or 151 episodes is a lot bigger of an achievement than 150 episodes. So it makes more sense to celebrate 151 instead of 150. So I appreciate this logic. Of course, this is very true, which is why I think it's so stupid that so many people were like, oh, 150 episodes. Congrats. Congrats, Jesse. That's a big accomplishment. It's like, okay, well... Right now, we're recording episode 152. Where's my fucking congratulations for that, you dumb bitch? That's two episodes more than 150, if my math is correct, and I'm pretty sure it is. And uh, anyway, let's talk Halo. Halo shit. Halo uh, Infinite Season 2 came out this week. We'll talk about that more in the what I've been playing, but let's let's talk about some Halo comments you guys had. Jay Comatose comes back in for the second week in a row. Thank you for writing it and says, Regarding Halo Infinite and 343, I think we're in... Oh, I think we're in for another Master Chief Collection situation. What I mean by that is that Master Chief Collection released in a sorry state and eventually became a great game. I think that will happen with Infinite as well. I just hope players stick around. In my opinion, the development problems in Infinite that Infinite face or faces is 100% on Microsoft. They should be throwing every available resource into making Halo a great game. Halo is their flagship property and Master Chief is their flagship character. Having a great Halo game is what's going to be or what's going to bring players to Xbox. For Microsoft to let development issues plague Infinite is an absolute travesty. PS, not going to lie, having my comment around it last week on the show gave me a little bit of an endorphin rush, so I'm going to try to become a regular contributor contributor lol keep up the good work. Well, Jay, 
thank you for writing in and just having more comments to read gives me a little a little hit of endorphin so the feeling is mutual i appreciate the support as always and please have a wonderful week now with the kindness out of the way let me tear you apart actually i i can't tear you apart because I, I agree to an extent now master chief collections it, it, it is different, but it, it's not entirely... Um, it, it's a fair comparison to make, and I can see why you would draw the, the parallels, and, and I think it's worth it's a discussion worth having. But they're not exactly the same, because I would say Master Chief Collection was a celebration, a series of games that we knew for a fact were masterpiece god-tier games. I mean, Halo 1, 2, 3, and 4. Can you... I, I don't think you can put four games on a disc and have it be more exciting than that. I, I mean, unless you put a disc that was like Sonic Unleashed... Super Mario Galaxy, Halo 3, maybe Superman 64 just to piss you guys off. I don't know. That could be like the only thing that maybe topped this. But the Master Chief Collection was, it was a guaranteed amazing collection of amazing games with amazing features. And it was somewhat a known quantity. It was like, okay, we've played these games. We know what to expect. This is going to be a phenomenal experience. But then they fucked up like the, the back end shit, like the stuff the consumer shouldn't have to think about. Like, why does why does the game not match make? Why why can I not play the game? Like that was the problem with Master Chief Collection. It's like I know this is a great collection of games because I played these games before and I know they're all masterpieces, but the fucking package doesn't work. So that was Master Chief Collection's problem. Halo Infinite is a little bit different because its situation is like the game works, but like why is the game so skimpy on content and why is it like not as complete of a package as God, like why it's missing so much shit at launch and other Halo games have this shit at launch. So it's it's different that like one is like guaranteed good content with a ter- with terrible execution and the other one is like a lot of promising content with a with a great need for more of it, but pretty good execution in terms of like the the package working and being a thing you can use and play and enjoy at least as intended. So it, it's different in the sense, and the only reason I, I get into the nitty gritty of like picking apart that comparison is just to say I I think that distinguish that that differentiation will affect how how players feel about wanting to come back to it, right? Because Master Chief Collection, I feel like it's like, oh, it's like old reliable. It's like comfortable. It's like, oh man, they they if they fucked up this collection that has Halo 2 and 3 on it or whatever, fuck it. I already played those games. They they fucked this up. This package is broken. I don't have to come back to it, whatever. And then, you know, years later, the game is a lot better than it was when it launched. And maybe it's easier to come back because you're like, I heard it's fixed. I know I like the content. As long as it works now, fuck it. I'll play it. But Infinite is different because Infinite is like, if you don't have sufficient content up front, if you don't have enough cool things to do, enough things to set you, set you apart from the competition and, and, and really sink your hooks into people, you might not get those people back when you fix everything like you did with Master Chief Collection. Because there are people who bought Master Chief Collection in 2014 was like, this fucking sucks, put it down. And then in 2016, 2017, came back to it and were like, oh, this is great now. I can finally play these games that I love so much on all in one place. But Halo Infinite is like, some people don't know if they love Halo Infinite or not because it's a really promising start that desperately needs more modes, more maps. Even with Season 2, desperately needs more content. It's missing Forge, it's missing co-op campaigns, it's missing all these quality of life features and in, in, in little bells and whistles that we're just so used to being a cut, like in Halo by default that, you know, Halo Infinite might not have enough on its on its you know, on its bones to get its hooks sunk into people 
for them to want to come back when the game is ready to go. Does that make does that make sense? You know, like in two years from now, when Halo Infinite is undoubtedly a great game because it has, uh, I don't know, maybe they'll have like four maps on the game by then. Uh, you know, and then they have Forge and they have a DLC campaign content and they have all these other things and they fix the progression system they fix the cosmetic system once all that shit is guaranteed to be like really good to go in two years yeah we as diehard xbox halo fans might be back at it playing it loving it saying wow i can't believe this game it's just so much better than it used to be they they fixed everything but if you're someone who played in november of 2021 and said there's not enough here fuck this fell off and went and played Warzone or some shit like that that guy might be like, eh, it's a little harder to get me back in because unlike Master Chief Collection, it's not like, well, I know I love those games. I have so many good memories with those games. I have such a, there's such a guarantee that that thing is worth my time to invest in again. But Halo Infinite didn't really have enough at the start for a lot of players to prove that like, hey, I'm not ready yet, but I will be at some point. Make time for me. That's a huge ask of a consumer in a world where like, as we're about to get into, Modern Warfare 2 is about to be out this year, and it's going to be like, you know, unless they catastrophically fuck up Modern Warfare 2, it's going to be a much more attractive op- like um, option to consumers. You know, new version of Warzone. Uh, another COD game with probably a really good campaign, probably really solid multiplayer suite with, you know, it's Call of Duty. It's going to have, like, it's going to launch with, like, 15 fucking maps and, like, set a billion fucking modes because that's what Call of Duty does. And there's going to be a lot more options, and that's going to make people forget about Halo, so... That's my only concern. I think your comparison is apt. I think it's interesting. But I, I worry that they're botching that first impression so much that they might not be able to make it back in the end. I, I think they will. I, I, I Personally, I'm confident that they will make good on Halo Infinite. It will be a great game when all is said and done. I just feel like, at the end of the day, Halo Infinite is going to be a pretty solid games as a service that definitely has legs and definitely has an audience. But it might not ever get to be as big as it could have been because they just so catastrophically fucked up that first impression. And I don't know. You know, whatever. We saw Siege and Sea of Thieves and all these other games. Destiny and all these games end up being very successful despite not amazing launches. So who who knows? But anyway. The other thing is, it, and you're right, it, it is on Microsoft that... Sorry, I just as a real quick um, wrap-up. It is on Microsoft. You're right. I, I do blame Microsoft more than 343 because they're the ones who funds 343. They're the ones who manage 343. So the buck does stop with them. They are the upper management. I almost wonder if, because you, you mentioned, you know, Halo's the flagship property, Master Chief's the flagship character. Yeah, that's how we all think of Xbox, but do you think you think Microsoft really feels that way still? Now that they own Bethesda, they own Fallout, Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, you know, Starfield, whatever the fuck it is I'm trying to say. You know, now that they, they're about to own Call of Duty, Maybe that's Microsoft saying, listen, of course we're always going to have Halo. Halo is the thing that made our, our brand. But now we don't have to worry about and stress about Halo as much as we used to and throw as much into it and, and, and just hope and pray that it's it's our savior as much as we used to because we have other very big properties. It's not all contingent on Halo anymore. And I mean, I hope that's not what's happening. And I'm not saying I, I think for sure that's what's happening, but there's there's always that possibility that Xbox is feeling like they don't have to they don't have to look at Halo to be their their mighty savior because fuck it, man. If Halo is going to continue to be a very successful franchise but not nearly as big as it used to be back in the 360 OG Xbox days, then what's to stop Microsoft from just being like, okay, we'll keep Halo going because it makes money and there's an audience for it, but it's not our main focus. You know, we got another Elder Scrolls game coming. We expect that will do much better. It's sad to think that way, but it's, it's possible that we're... We're coming into an era of Microsoft where that's kind of the that's kind of the climate, that's kind of the attitude about 
their IP. I mean, they just own so much shit now. But uh, I digress. Mr. Miggy wraps up our Halo discussion by saying, maybe 343 all working at once wasn't enough to make Halo Infinite. Maybe we need 344 instead. Mr. Miggy, that's a fucking genius comment. Far Cry 6, let's talk about it. Sam Torres writes in, haven't seen this guy in a minute, but he's always welcome. We always love seeing him. He's a sexy, sexy guy with a big fucking index finger all over his left hand. And he says, if I may, Margaritaville is fine, but completely over-themed to the point where I'd expect a drunk, rich Republican wash up at my table loudly mumbling the lyrics to the fucking song before helping themselves to some of my appetizer, like the party never ends while your money still spends. I, I That's so well written, I love it, but um, don't ever say Margaritaville is over-themed because by, com- by comparison of Rainforest Cafe, it's fucking lacking, Okay. Now, you say, segue into Far Cry 6. I concur with you completely. I'm at the Danny Trejo part, nothing against Danny, but it's so out of left field that I can't return to the game because of my strong disbelief that he would ever do it, that he would ever need my Danny to protect his loco senior citizen street taco cooking ass. Great game, but one celebrity is enough. If later in the game Guy Fieri makes an appearance, I'm going to expect Shrek and Smash Mouth in Far Cry 7. Great show, you magnificent host of the best unadvertised Xbox podcast we as humble, non-pooping in our spouse beds could ask for. And do yourself a favor and never listen to Sega Talk podcasts. The hosts are barely decent Wikipedia regurgitators. Sonic 2, is it worth the rewatch in your opinion? God, Sam. Got a lot, a lot to say there. Let's okay. Let's eat around the. Let's let's eat the sides and the smaller little appetizers, and then get into the meat of your question, your, your comment, because there's really no question other than the Sonic thing. Is Sonic Two worth a rewatch? Well, uh, at the expense of sounding hypocritical, because I haven't seen it a second time. Yes, of course it is. I really want to. Dude, I had this problem ugh, so much where I'm like, oh, that was a good movie. I really want to see that in theaters one more time before it leaves, and I just I can't. I meant to see Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters a second time. So, so hard, and it just couldn't happen. I don't know. It just didn't happen. And I feel like we're getting there with Sonic, because I really want to see Sonic, but now Doctor Strange is coming out. I'm like, oh, how's this going to work? But pray for me, Sam. Pray for me. Now, I actually used to listen to Sega Talk. I'm still subscribed, but I haven't listened in years. It's not a great podcast, but I appreciate it exists, and I appreciate the effort those hosts put into it, because there are very few Sega-related podcasts. That actually, that's, that's a big point of frustration for me. I, there used to be a very decent Sonic the Hedgehog podcast that just disappeared without notice one day. I used to listen to that shit like crazy like six or eight years ago. And then Sega Talk is basically all that's left, but they're not phenomenal. But you know what? They're the only people in they're the only they're the only game in town. So you gotta you gotta appreciate them for at least being there, you know? And I mean that as no disrespect to the hosts. Uh, especially as the host of a podcast that I don't think is all that good to be honest, but I appreciate your support. Now Far Cry six I haven't seen any of the Danny uh, Trejo stuff. I know he's in the game. I don't know if that's DLC or after the game or where. Uh, I am mainlining the, the the main quest, the Golden Path, and really ignoring the hell out of everything uh, outside of that. So maybe that's why I'm not really enjoying... Not enjoying, because I enjoy playing open world games that way, because I don't like open world games. Um, maybe that's why I'm not getting the full effect of the game or coming across certain things, but... I don't know if I agree about the whole one celebrity is enough thing because the the issue with Far Cry 6, as is the issue with Far Cry 5 and 4 and 3, or eh, maybe not 3, but definitely 4 and 5, is that there isn't enough of the villain. They, they're like, hey, let's get a pretty good actor and maybe uh, have him do like seven lines and try to split that and spread that out over a uh, 25-hour campaign. 
that would be a pretty good idea. What do you think about that? We can market the hell out of this, uh, even though he's barely in the game. That's that's one of the issues of Far Cry 6, but we're making it through the game, okay? I really don't have much else to add to the game. I really don't think I'll have much to say about that game until until I beat it, to be honest. But, um, oh, you, you had a little, um, a little PS here. You said, I did return to Far Cry 6 and help Treo out. He should have never come to Yara with so few ingredients for his street tacos. Does he legitimately try to make street tacos in the game? Because now I feel like i got to figure out what the fuck this is about. Uh, Sam Torres, thank you for writing in. Have a wonderful day. And please, as the son of a son of a sailor, uh, I don't actually know the rest of the lyrics, but that's a you know, son of a gun, son of a son, son of a man of a sailor. That's, that's a Jimmy Buffett song, in case you didn't know. Now, product placement in games. We talked about ads coming to Xbox games and Microsoft exploring that avenue. Kronky said, product placement in games isn't really an issue. I know people were really happy. I know people were were happy when Alan Wake Remake removed it, but honestly, it never bothered me. The stuff is usually fine. I don't think they're really talking about product placement. I think they mean ads, like when you click on a YouTube video, possibly for a menu in game. Now, Kronky, I, I, I know you said this last week too, but I, I read the news and I, I, I took that as like, Pro, like like ads like like in Death Stranding when when Norman Reedus is like oh, I drink Monster Energy and shit like that or like a billboard in the background or something like that I really do, or like you know a TV's on in the video game and then they're like playing a commercial for like fucking Baywatch or whatever the hell they do in video games that's I'm pretty sure what they're talking about I really don't think they're talking about like oh yeah we're thinking about maybe adding 30 second ads in the menus of Halo Infinite so that in between matches you can earn double XP if you decide to watch a 30 second ad for fucking Dove body wash, you know, after after a sweaty match of, of Halo Infinite. So you can both speed up your progression and clean your sweaty gamer ass. I really don't think at all that's what they're talking about. So you and I are completely at odds about this. Now, if they are talking about adding ads in the way that you're suggesting, I am completely 100% against this. That is completely disgusting and inexcusable because you are purchasing a fucking game for $60, $70. Do not fucking water down the experience by adding in shitty, cheap, mobile game-esque ads that, that makes the experience dirty and disgusting. You know, think about, like, like when you go to Six Flags... Here, I can use my theme park love in this case. You think about a park like Six Flags. You go to a Six Flags park, they're cheap as shit. Like, admission to a Six Flags park is, like, $40. And they always have a promotion where it's like, bring a can of Coca-Cola... And will knock $20 off your park admission. And you can get into a full day of Six Flags for like $20. But the, the problem is Six Flags is dirty as hell. It, there's almost no theming. It's disgusting and smelly. And everywhere you look on in a Six Flags park, there's just ads for everything. There's ads for Twix and fucking candy bars galore. There's ads for fucking insurance and ads for hotels and all this disgusting shit. You literally go to a roller coaster. There's a roller coaster that's themed to Twix candy bar. And there's two tracks to the roller coaster. The left track is the left Twix and the right track is the right Twix. There's no theming. It's just a sign that explains that. Like that level of cheap, disgusting theming. That is the mobile game experience, okay? But if I'm going to like Universal or Disney and I'm paying 120 fucking dollars to get into a theme park for the day, I don't I, I, I fully expect to not get bombarded with ads 
to buy fucking foot cream and arm and shoulder, you know? Arm and hammer, is that what it's called? Shoulder and hammer? I, I fully expect to walk in that park and for it to smell nice and be very pretty and very clean and very themed. And that's why when you go to Disney World, yeah, you pay a fucking arm and a leg to get through the gate, but then you're transported to Main Street, USA, this beautiful, idyllic version of America's hometown that never existed and never will, but sounds idyllic and maybe that's how Hollywood would like to portray it. And then you walk down the beautiful street all the way down to a fucking stunning European German-inspired castle that makes you you go, why the hell would I ever need to fly out to stinky old Europe when I could just be here in sunny Orlando, Florida and get an even better experience? And no, there's not going to be a fucking banner hanging from the castle that says um, Trivago, book your next trip on Trivago and save up to 10% sponsored by Geico Double uh, XP Doritos Weekend because this isn't Six Flags. And that's, of course, tr- typical Jesse over-explained analogy for I don't want that experience in my video games. When I'm playing free-to-play Genshin Impact or, or, or Yu-Gi-Oh card battles on my fucking iPhone 7G, I don't expect you know to have a beautiful gaming experience where I'm immersed in a deep, rich story and the, the gameplay mechanics are just beautiful and captivating and have me hooked and I can't put the game down. I expect to fucking have some anime girl who is not animated on her eyes, hair, arms, legs, or torso, but her chest are just constantly bouncing up and down for no fucking reason, talking to me over and over again from a long-ass dialogue about, like, press this menu to upgrade this, now set this thing, wait 30 minutes, that will recharge, you can now activate this core and press a battle, then all your targets will go into battle and fight for you because there's no gameplay mechanics, and now watch an ad, double your currency, and you're fucking emperor of the game, and apparently that's a video game. Fuck you. Welcome to the mobile space. That adds... Okay, cool. If I fucking pop in Halo Infinite, and they're like, 30 seconds will get you double XP, I am selling my Xbox, I'm denouncing my faith as an X-Bot, I'm gonna turn the X tattoo I have on my wrist with the Xbox logo into a straight edge tattoo and just tell everyone, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm a person just like you, but I got better things to do because I am not fucking playing this Xbox game anymore. I'm, I'm over it. I'm selling it. I'm jumping over to PlayStation and PlayStation wants to get in the same camp. I'm going to fucking take up dirt bikes or some shit because I'm done with gaming. Simple as that. Okay. Why the fuck did it take so long to say that? <laughs> Way of the Lao, my favorite. He's my favorite. Because he doesn't fire me up with this bullshit. <sighs> These last two comments I have labeled incomprehensible nonsense. Way of the Lao writes in and says, Hey, hope you're doing well. And best wishes to Cronky and the family. Thank you, Way of the Lao. Hope you and yours are doing well as well. <laughs> please have more Cronky commentaries. I feel it continuously improves on already great podcasts. And Jesse, please remember to take your Tourette's medication before you record. I sometimes forget to take my meds, so I know your struggles. Now, thank you for recording right after a vacation, and your consistency is always appreciated. I hope everyone has a great week and is doing well, and I'm going to play Elden Ring on my PlayStation 5, which just got VRR support today. Cheers! Way of the loud. That is just so much so much kindness and, and, and happiness put into the world. Now, everybody, I want you to comment in and say something nice to Way of the Loud because he's just injecting positivity into this world. He's being nice. He's wishing me and mine well. He's wishing you guys a great day. He's he's giving thoughtful feedback while also complimenting and reminding me kindly to take my medications because apparently I have Tourette's and I didn't even remember, which is probably a symptom of Tourette's. I don't know. Don't look up WebMD because they'll just tell you you got cancer. Now, Way of the Loud, best commenter, I love you, but what is this at the bottom here playing Elden Ring on your PlayStation 5 you trash headhunting Halo rounds us out for the week and says Jess what kind of car do you drive and also why do I keep shaving my dog's hidey hole man I miss rock band 
though 100% on vocals on Expert, yes, I'm good. Are you looking forward to the quarry? Apparently, there's like 180 endings. Now, I am looking forward to the quarry, actually. My brother just picked me up the second of the Dark Picture Anthologies games, which I forget the name of. I played the first one, and now I have the second one. Little Hope, I think. I don't remember. But uh, I, I want to play as a little preamble to uh, the quarry, but I am very much looking forward to the quarry, which is weird because... I have Until Dawn, which is their first game they made that's kind of like this, that was a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and I've been meaning to play it for like seven years and haven't played it, and I enjoy what I've played and experienced and seen of the Dark Pictures Anthology so far, but I'm pretty behind on it, so I don't know why, but something about The Quarry has me has me just very excited, like a lot more than any of their other projects, and I think I'm really going to love this game. This is this is my perfect... I, I always talk about how I fucking hate horror in film. I think horror movies are terrible. I think they're just... It's like one of the worst genres. It appeals to me negative 20%. I can't stand watching like gory or suspenseful or intense horror. It's just my least favorite thing. But it's so weird because I absolutely love fall season, Halloween, spooky vibes, haunted houses, all that shit. I eat it up. It is my absolute favorite time of year. It's so, so, so amazing to me. But for some reason, horror games fall under that ladder court, ladder court category of I fucking love it. I just I love the intense, gory, scary atmosphere of a horror game. I don't know why I'm you know I've been enjoying getting into the Resident Evil games over the over the more recent years. I've I love um, what was that Xbox game? Outlast. I love Outlast. Um, I I really enjoy horror games, and and I think the quarry looks phenomenal. It's if it were a movie, I would want nothing to do with it, but because it's a video game, for some reason, I'm like, this is very intriguing to me. I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I need to take my uh, ADHD Tourette medicine or whatever the hell it is, but uh, I think this game looks great. 180 endings, that's too bad. I'll only ever be seeing one of them because uh, I'm probably not going to play more than once. And uh, lastly, I will say, The Quarry, remember, one of the main uh, vo uh, voice talent, uh, voice actors, Brenda Song, famous for her role as London Tipton on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Also famous for having terrible taste in men. Very attractive person. So, I'll definitely be playing that game with Brenda Song in mind. Now, lastly, lastly, Jesse, what kind of car do you drive? Don't you ever, don't you ever ask a man, you never, never ask a woman her age, never ask a man what he drives. Honda. All right, that's it for this week's comments, guys. Remember, for next week, we're actually going to talk about Xbox now, I promise. All these comments, I just realized, have nothing to do with anything, so you probably clicked it off by now. But if you're, if you're still here, remember, next week, you can be the change you want to see in the world. Leave a comment actually related to video games. Challenge my in analysis of something that we talked about in the news. Bring up something lively and thoughtful about video games, and we'll actually talk about that. Or we can just talk about cleaning your dog's buttholes like headhunting halo did here either way i love you and i appreciate you so don't be shy reply now next let's jump into what i've been playing this past week but before i can tell you about any of that you'll never believe it but i want to tell you about what i've been eating and i got two things i want to talk to you about and i'm so excited because i this is a fucking skyrim moment for me well not not that extent but this is a jesse was wrong moment okay so maybe this should have been at the corrections and not at the, what i've been eating but guys I've been dreading the inevitable experience of trying Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew. We talked about it. Mavs Man or someone wrote in about it like a week or two ago. We, we vaguely touched on it. Everyone who's anyone who's even remotely gotten close to this drink says, it is garbage, it is disgusting, don't waste your money. The can art is cool and that's about it. But guys, I had, I had to give it a try because the can art is very cool. 
And I'm very nostalgic for that flaming Hot branding with the little fireball with the face on it. So I tried the flaming Hot Spicy Mountain Dew, and I got to be honest, I don't. It's not like a new flavor I'm going to be drinking regularly. In fact, I probably won't ever buy it again. But I expected this to be absolute disgusting garbage that I would spit out and be unable to finish the bottle. So far, the only Mountain Dew flavor that's ever been so bad I can't drink it is that disgusting gingerbread flavor they did for Christmas last year. And I really thought this was going to be right up there neck and neck with it. I thought it was going to taste like that fireball candy shit where it's just like cinnamon, sugar, carbonated soda. But no, what Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew actually is, and of course, classic Dew aficionados will be familiar. What it actually is, is it's a base flavor of Livewire, which is the orange flavored Mountain Dew that's often hard to find. And then they put uh, like a cinnamon spicy hit to it that you only feel on the finish. And then it has a twist of lime in it. So it's good. It's like it's like orange lime soda, which is kind of a weird combination. But the, the lime is so faint that it actually does more to uh, kind of neuter the spiciness of it or the flaming hot aspect of it and less to impede on the orange flavor. And I I quite... I quite like it. I think it's good. It's when you first sip it, it's it's like, oh, this is really good. And then you finish your sip, and then there's like this delayed finish. There's like this pause between gulping, waiting, and then boom, you get like this spicy tingle, almost like when you eat like a fucking flaming hot Dorito or something, or flaming hot Cheeto, right? So it's it's a very interesting gimmicky drink. I think as a novelty, one and done kind of thing, it's fun. Buy yourself a single bottle or something, or a twelve pack, and try it with your buddies. It's a fun thing to say you've tried, and it's based off a Mountain Dew flavor I really adore. Generally, when they build these kinds of flavors, they use my favorite Mountain Dew flavor, Whiteout, and then they build off that. That's how they did the birthday cake flavor, which was really good. That's how they do um, the. That's how they do these Mountain Dew flavor, or sorry, these uh, Halloween flavors they do every year, uh, Voodoo, and um, so you know that's usually what I expect. But for this, they use uh, they use Livewire as the base and it was a very very welcome addition because it's usually like i said they either use a live uh white out as the base or they do that fucking weird wannabe fanta we're not even going to use mountain dew we're going to make it taste like fucking shitty coke fruit juice and you get something like that um shark frostbite one or that melon one that doesn't you know i no disrespect if you like that flavor it just doesn't taste like mountain dew so shout out to them for actually making it taste like a mountain dew flavor shout out to, to it for not being terrible Flamin' Hot Dew, I misjudged you. I'm, I I will take the L. I was wrong. I, re, I retract my mean tweet about Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew. And now we'll talk about the other half of the what I've been eating now. It's been a while since we brought up M&M's, but they are one of the best candies of all time, so we have to bring this back up. We've had this discussion maybe 100 episodes ago. It's been quite a while. But the best M&M flavor of all time, as we determined as a group unanimously, there was, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it, the greatest M&M flavor of all time is the crispy M&M. Now, crispy M&Ms have a troubled history. They were introduced around 2001, 2002, and then they were discontinued after a few years, and then they were brought back many years later, and then they were discontinued again, and then they were brought back again, and then they were relabeled or re- rebranded. And so they've had kind of a history. Well, they've done it again. They've rebranded them. They've changed them up a little bit, and they changed the recipe a little bit. So now they are no longer called crispy M&Ms. They're called crunchy cookie M&Ms, kind of like sugar cookie M&Ms. Now, I thought that sounded not like a great flavor, but I wasn't going to knock it until I tried it because Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew made me look like a bitch. Why am I going to make crunchy cookies? M&Ms make me look the same. No. So I bought myself a bag, and I said, let's try these bad boys out. And to my surprise... 
These are basically the crispy M&Ms I've always known and loved. The difference is they're a little smaller. They're a little more deformed in shape. They have like weird dimples on them. So they're kind of like unpleasant looking. But they taste 90% the exact same as crispy M&Ms. The main difference is they're a little like buttery or like a buttery cookie. Like a, like a, like a, what, what do those British people call them? Like a, like a fucking, like a shortbread, almost like a shortbread. It's, I, I think they're going for like a sugar cookie, but it has almost more of like a, a slight hint of a shortbread flavor to it, where it's a buttery, crispy cookie. And uh, it, it's great. They're phenomenal. They're really, really good. And the, the what I found really funny about this is my, you know, crispy M&M's, best flavor of M&M ever. Suck it. I know there's a lot of peanut fans out there. You can go, you can go clean headhunting Halo's dog's butthole or whatever he was talking about. Crispy is the, is the goat, but something that I found really interesting was yesterday I just happened to give the new version of Crispy M&M's, the crunchy cookie, a try on a whim. And, the, and yesterday also happened to be the 20th anniversary of 2002's Sam Raimi's Spider-Man uh, movie. The movie that started it all. My love for Spider-Man, my favorite movie. Uh, trilogy of all time, the best superhero movie trilogy, uh, best superhero trilogy of all time, and uh, what, what's what draws this to M and M's is the first time I ever had crispy M and M's, my favorite M and M flavor, was when I was seven years old at the movie theater watching Spider Man One for the first time. So I thought it was so fitting that the day I tried the new variant, the new interpretation of crispy M and M's, coincidentally happened to be on the 20th anniversary of Spider Man One. Look at that. 20 years have gone by. I went from being 7 to 27, and I still do the exact same shit. I run around, I poop my pants, I eat crispy M&Ms, and I watch Spider-Man. Life is good, guys. Now, that's it for what I've been playing. Oh, actually, I meant to read this uh, during the hot Mountain Dew, but the Blunden wrote in about Mountain Dew and says, Just wanted to say this is my favorite Taco Bell podcast. And that being said, I just saw that Quick Trip has Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew in 20 ounce bottles. So you can just throw a one item and not a 12 pack. Everyone needs to try Nitro Pepsi. It is simply amazing. It's like a Pepsi float. Cannot wait for episode 173. The Blunden, I'm sorry, I, I, I have to apologize because this comment would have gone so well with the Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew comment, but I butchered it by tacking it onto the end here. So I, I do apologize for that. But I will say, yes, if you're if you're cautious about Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew, Buy the personal size bottle. I found it at Publix. You can find it at the gas station. That way you don't have to commit to the full 12 pack. But also, I didn't include it in the what I've been eating, but I tried Nitro Pepsi. And you know what, the Blunden? The, the Blunden? I tried it on your recommendation. Now, I saw it in stores a few days before you left this comment. And then I read your comment. And I was like, fuck it. I got to try it. So the next time I went to the store, I picked a, I picked up a can. I think we got like the, the vanilla one. There's a couple flavors. And the one I found at Publix was the vanilla one. So whatever. And you're right. This is this is really good. This isn't something I would feel obligated to try many times, but it's kind. You're right. It's kind of like a Pepsi float. You shake the can before you pour it, um, so you can get the float, or like you put it upside down or whatever, so that all the foamy, creamy floatiness rises to the top, and the soda stays on the bottom. But it it, it reminds me of something between like a Pepsi ice cream float and a butter beer from Harry Potter Land at Universal. It reminds me of like the cross between that, like a poor man's butter beer. If you're uh, butterbeering on a budget, and uh, yeah, and a, and a Pepsi Float, and I think it's really fun to try. It's really creamy and delicious. And uh, thank you for the recommendation, sir. I'm glad I tried it. Thanks to you. Now that's it for what I've been eating. But let's talk about what I've been playing, guys. Halo Infinite Season Two just dropped, so you know what we're gonna talk about. 
Far Cry 6, no, we're not going to talk about that. I have been playing Far Cry 6, but like I said, I have nothing to say about that game until I beat it, so we will just leave that out. But Halo Infinite Season 2 is now live. I only I was very busy yesterday writing the podcast notes, uh, sh- grocery shopping, doing dinner and stuff, so I didn't have time to extensively sit down and play through a lot of the new content, but I did have enough time to play a couple of matches, uh, matches of Last Spartan Standing, purchase my battle pass, and play one match of King of the Hill. So EA's King writes in, and you know he only shows up when there's Halo involved, and says, yo, I'm alive now. The Halo Infinite Season 2 Battle Pass has really ugly helmets. Also, I've been playing Warframe, but oh man, Halo Infinite Season 2 is coming out. Uh, this, you wrote this before it came out. Oh wait, when you read this comment, it's already going to be out. Also, why did your mic quality suddenly become weird? Okay, bye. I didn't know my mic quality became weird, EA's King, but now I'm insecure, thanks to, the, thanks to you. Wow, you're amazing. Okay, EA's King. Halo Infinite Season 2 is out because it's the future now and your comment looks dated which makes you look dumb but you're not dumb because you're EA's king and I love you. But I have played some Halo Infinite Season 2 and not nearly enough to really render some serious thoughts on it. But I will say this. The new map, having only played it two times, I already forget the name of it, but the fucking uh, uh, Last Spartan Standing map that they've included in there is beautiful. It adds so much aesthetic diversity to the game that this game sorely fucking needs and I love it it looks very very beautiful very desolate very very like Halo Reach meets Halo 3 and I am here for it I love this map I love this map I love the way there's a lot of wildlife in the map I love how it's desolate but very kinetic anyway I love how it's very platformy focused there's a lot of like uh, jump up on this platform to this ledge and it's just it's not very like flat and symmetrical and basic it's very vertical and like platformy um i think this map is fucking awesome but like i said i only got to play two matches of this two quick matches before bed and then a match of king of the hill and i'll say this the start of season two had me so excited because they're doing the destiny thing where they're like new season here's a new cinematic here's literally your your multiplayer spartan in a cutscene. And here's some story. Here's trying to make story content out of the multiplayer. I love this. It's exciting. I know this is what games with seasonal content do, but it's really exciting as a Halo fan seeing Halo do this because it just gives me more Halo lore and Halo shit to be steeped in and to be nerd out about. So this was really exciting for me. And I saw the cutscene. And it's like, oh, cool. You have this banished AI and you're trying to help the Spartan. Okay, this is cool. I like this. And then you get let loose. And you buy the battle pass and you start digging through the battle pass and you immediately say, oh God, what have I done? I just dropped $9 on this battle pass. And what I'm realizing is this is a hundred tiers of more bland, uninspired, unexciting um, cosmetics that are tailored to very specific suits of armor that I may or may not give a shit about that are going to make my customization options so uninspired, so limiting, so unexciting that the only reason I'm going to grind through this battle pass is out of pure obligation and FOMO. And I immediately got depressed because like, fuck, I just finished the other battle pass. Now I got to do it again. You know, you don't have to do it, but you got you got to do it. You lose your Halo V card or whatever they say in 2008. So that was immediately a downer, but I was like, you know what? Last Spartan Standing, a new, a new map. I haven't played the big team battle map because personally, I'll, I'll get around to it probably tomorrow. But I'm just not a big, big team battle guy, so that's not really the alert to me. I want the, the more competitive arena shooter stuff. So I jump in, we see this new map, we see Last Spartan Standing in, in, in a round of King of the Hill. And I gotta say, Last Spartan Standing, on paper, 
is such a cool mode to me. It's like Call of Duty's gun gun game mode that was introduced in Black Ops. I fucking love that mode so much. You get a kill, upgrade to a better weapon. You start with the shittiest weapon, and every time you get a kill, you upgrade to a better weapon. I fucking love it. It's so cool. Here in Halo, I want it. I'm good for it. Let's go. But then it has a little bit of a Battle Royale twist where it's like, okay, there's like 12 players, I think. It's like 12 or something. I think it's 12 or 18 or something. And you, every player has a pool of like five lives. And once you lose your fifth life, you're out. So it's kind of like Battle Royale where you play until it's last man standing. But it's also kind of like gun game. And once you play it, it feels a little more like gun game than it does Battle Royale. But it is like Battle Royale in that it has, it has a, um, a circle or a dome that closes in on you. Although it's not usually that threatening. Here's my gripe with this. I like how it's like XP based. So it's like the more score you get, the, the more upgrades and weapons you get. So it's not just like one kill equals one weapon. It's like you really got to perform to get better shit. So it makes it really about, you know, it makes it a little more competitive. My gripe with my my two early matches, and again, very, very, like, I, I'm probably going to feel very different once I played it. But my gripe with this was like, why does Halo's player base suck so much now? When, when it, back in the Halo 3 days, back in the Halo Reach days, it felt like Halo. It just felt like people were like, let's jump into this game and run around and shoot people. But now for some fucking reason, I don't know if it's because Halo's free to play, or I don't know if it's because the way people play online games has just evolved over the years, or maybe it's because we let sweaty, dirty fucking PC players play our games, our console games. I don't know. But it drives me fucking nuts that I'm dropped into this. And I'm like, it's Halo. I want to run around the map, encounter people, and just use my skills and my weapons and my arsenal, what I have available to me, to best this opponent. But people insist on fucking playing it like a campy, sweaty little Call of Duty clone. And I get pissed off because I'm trying to run around and play the game. But there's just people hiding behind cover, hiding behind little barriers, crouched down with their little fucking manglers, trying to pew pew people who catch them off guard. And I'm like, this isn't fun. This is not how you play gun game. You don't hide like a little bitch and get cheap kills. Like jump out, get into the fucking game. And so that's the thing is, and I, I know the circle is meant to close in to force people like out of hiding and into the game. But I think they need to do something about that. Maybe make it a little more aggressive about how fast it closes in or something. Because I'll say just off my two early matches I played, my my I was like immediately in love and then immediately crestfallen. I was like, this is a cool concept for a mode. This is a really beautiful looking map. I fucking hate everyone I have to play with. Why why are we hiding? Why are we being little babies? And thus is the 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 continuation of my thing with Halo Infinite, where it's just like, why does this game feel like such a sweaty? competitive not fun version of a halo game like i just don't i don't understand why we can't just play halo like why do we gotta why does everyone why does every game have to be played like fucking fortnite now or whatever the fuck i don't know how people play fortnite <laughs> but uh that being said my other disappointment was i played king of the hill for one match and it it's not king of the hill like you remember it it's like two teams and you got to defend your your hill and you hold it for a certain amount of seconds to score a point instead of it just being like score and the longer you're in the hill, the more points you earn. So it's a little different and I I don't know if I like it because it's kind of like, it's a little less like King of the Hill and a little more like Strongholds. So I was mildly let down from that because King of the Hill is one of my favorite modes and I kind of wish they took a it ain't broke, don't fix it approach to it. But I guess we have to have new King of the Hill instead. So I'm not going to render a final verdict. I barely put any time into this. I'm excited to get into it tomorrow and this weekend and put more time into the season two and really feel it out. But early impressions, I like this new mode. I hate the Halo Infinite player base. I like this new map, but it makes me sad thinking, wow, 
we have literally one new arena map to get us from May to November. So basically, from last November to this November, we're going to get a grand total of one map added. And, uh, it's dude, it's going to be hard getting all the way through Season 2. But I don't know. This is what we signed up for, boys. But that's it for what I've been playing, guys. Not to sound too down. I love myself some Halo, but man, oh man, we need some more comment. But with, content, not comment. We need more content. But with all that said, guys, we're done with the top of the show. We get into the sexy news segment next. So let's take ourselves a break. Stretch for 10 minutes. Grab yourselves an ice cream sandwich with chocolate chips in the middle. And then we'll, we'll rejoin and talk about all the news. All right. Now we're back into the news. Guys, our first story this week is a big one. Embracer Group is buying Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, and other IPs, including Tomb Raider, or in, in their associate IPs, including Tomb Raider, from Square Enix. So this is a big acquisition, and there are a lot of parts to it. So I've stitched together a couple bits and pieces of different stories, and let's kind of try sh- sit through this using various articles from our friends over at VGC. So Embracer Group have agreed to acquire a large part of Square Enix's Western development arm for $300 million. Keep that number in mind. The deal will see Embracer Group acquire Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IP, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane, among others. It will also include more than 50 back catalog games from Square Enix. This will also potentially include Square Enix's Marvel games, Avengers, and Guardians of the Galaxy, subject to licensing holding agreements. License holding agreements, sorry. The license holders agreements. Disney, basically. Huh. The total acquisition includes around 1,100 employees across three studios in eight locations around the world. And according to Embracer, the total purchase price will be $300 million on a cash debt-free basis to be paid in full at closing. The deal is expected to close in the second quarter of this financial year between July and September. In an impressive release, Square Enix said the deal, quote, enables the launch of new business by moving forward with investments in fields including blockchain, AI, and cloud. Now, put a pin in that because we'll get in that because that's fucking funny as shit. That goes. They added, quote, going forward, the company's development functions will comprise its studios in Japan, Square Enix's external studios, and Square Enix Collective. The company's overseas studio will continue to publish franchises such as Just Cause, Outriders, and Life is Strange. In a separate statement, Square Enix's American and European CEO, Phil Rogers, said, quote, Embracer is the best-kept secret in gaming, a massive, decentralized collection of entrepreneurs whom are thrilled to be come a part of today who we're thrilled to become a part of today it is the perfect fit for our ambitious high quality games with great people sustainability and growth in our existing franchises to the best version ever or to grow our existing franchises to the best versions ever embracer allows us to forge new partnerships across all medium media and maximize our franchise's potential and live our dreams of making extraordinary entertainment Crystal Dynamics announced last month that the next Tomb Raider game has already entered development using Unreal Engine 5, although it is an early, early development, so don't expect it anytime soon. In January last year, video outing, uh, a video outlining its plans for the franchise's 25th anniversary, Crystal Dynamics revealed that Lara Croft's next adventure will unify the timeline in Core Design's original Tomb Raider games and its own reboot trilogy that began in 2013. The, predece- the, sorry, the president of Square Enix stated last month that the company's Japanese studios shouldn't try to make games aimed specifically at Western players. And in an interview recently with Yahoo Japan, Yosuke Matsuda explained that while it's vital that Square Enix games sell well on a global scale, it would be a mistake if its Japanese developers tried to imitate the Western style of game. That said, Square Enix has said that it will still publish some 
of its Western games, as mentioned above, despite selling a large portion of its Western development arm to Embracer this past week. Since the start of 2020, the Swedish company Embracer Group has made 62 acquisitions at a cost of $8.1 billion, not counting the deal announced today. When the deal is completed, Embracer, which also owns such companies as THQ Nordic, Coke Media, Deep Silver, Saber Interactive, and Gearbox Software, will have 124 internal t- uh, game development studios altogether. Its largest acquisition was the $2.75 billion pr- uh, purchase, or billion, sorry, 2.75 billion euro purchase of French board game company Asmodi, or Cronky, you correct me if I'm saying that wrong, Asmodi, Asmodi, in December of 2021. Now, last year, it acquired Borderlands developer Gearbox for $1.4 billion. And in 2020, it purchased World War Z uh, developer and Witcher 3 port developer Saber in a deal that could uh, rise to $525 million. In March, Embracer acquired Dark Horse Media, one of the leading U.S. comic book publishers, for an undisclosed sum. Now, lastly, let's read about the story that kind of explains how this all affects uh, Perfect Dark as course crystal dynamics is working with the initiative on co-developing the perfect dark game coming out of the initiative uh, and they were a square enix owned studio that is now being acquired by embracer group so there is a little bit of concern or, or curiosity as to what that means for them now vgc relays in that regard that xbox studio the initiative has stated that they will continue to co-develop perfect dark following the news of embracer group acquiring crystal dynamics the acquisition announcement did not mention how or, or what would be happening with crystal dynamics commitment um, to the help with development of Xbox's Perfect Dark reboot, although it is safe to assume that that deal is already going to be continue or sorry is going to continue to be honored, so probably no concern of, of any significant consequence there. But according to a new tweet by the initiative, it appears that Crystal Dynamics will continue to work on the game as followed, saying retweeting a statement from Crystal Dynamics that referred to the acquisition as a new chapter for their story, and the initiative confirms that those are the plans, saying we're excited to see Crystal Dynamics take these next steps with our with their studio. Our team have. Our teams have made great progress in building Perfect Dark together as co-development partners, and we will continue to work with them in their next chapter. End quote. Now, Xbox signed up Marvel's Avengers and Tomb Raider developer Crystal Dynamics back in September of last year to help develop its Perfect Dark reboot that has seemingly been long in uh, some kind of stasis or or, or uh, belabored kind of development stage. And at the time, the initiative tweeted, Perfect Dark update, we're planning on partnering with Crystal Dynamics, the world-class team behind the character-driven games like Tomb Raider to bring this first-person spy thriller to a new generation, hopefully giving Joanne Dark a little bit of Laura Croft vibe, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. So that's a whole lot to digest and a whole lot to talk about. So this is the big story. This is the big meat and potatoes of this week, and now I would like to dive into a couple of angles of this story and what this means. So obviously we talk about acquisitions all the time. We talk about how this is the biggest thing happening in the industry. It is changing everything about gaming. And we talk about scary actors like Tencent. We talk about actors that we don't mind as much like Microsoft, but still do concerning things like acquiring Activision. And sometimes these deals are a little exciting like with Bethesda. And sometimes they're pretty concerning like when Tencent gives money to absolutely everyone and says, don't worry, uh, uh, we're not going to affect the games, but you can't mention Taiwan's existence. Anyway, that being said, Embracer Group is probably the one that concerns me the least of these, and it's almost laughable to say that because they're so massively, absurdly large. But first of all, they're Swedish, and I I tend to trust the Swedes. Second of all, they're European, so you know they're harmless. What are they going to do? Throw a fucking poison rat at us and start another plague? But no, all joking aside... This is a uh, this tells you a lot of things about where different key players in the industry have their heads. Now, Embracer Group, it, it was kind of cute, right, when we were talking about them 
maybe three years ago or four years ago when this was mostly just you know various investment groups buying up the remaining naming rights and IP to various THQ and TH or, or uh, when Nordic was buying the THQ brand and a bunch of um, THQ licenses and stuff and kind of resurrecting THQ. And back in those days, their big team was Virgil, the people who make uh, the Darksiders games. And it was like, oh, that's cool. They're kind of resurrecting THQ and they're bringing back like the double A space. And yeah, oh, that's awesome. After the PS4 and Xbox One generation of double A just basically not existing. It was all like 8-bit indie or billion dollar fucking triple A and nothing in the middle. Like, this is exciting. This is cool. And then it was like, Coke Media and Saber Interactive and all these things were acquired and joined together and got bigger and bigger and bigger and they all con- conjoined in this biggest umbrella of Embracer which had really large smaller umbrellas and then smaller umbrellas under that and pretty soon you look at it and it's like 50% of the fucking video game industry is under Embracer Group it seems or at least the video game industry that we as console gamers are probably most used to seeing. And in some ways, it's been really exciting, really cool. We've seen all these franchises and beloved IP come back, everything from like Destroy All Humans to the continuation of Darksiders to bringing back things like um, like that SpongeBob game we got last year and just all this kind of like double A license stuff and just like middle of the road shit. And it's cool. It's exciting, right? Um, I, I think a lot of people are into this and, and generally Saber is somewhat trusted, although, you know, I, I have my opinions about coke media or anything tied to the coke brothers but whatever generally speaking this is the least seedy one right it, the, the money is seemingly you know from our perspective pretty clean and honest for for whatever that fucking is worth or means and then a lot of the studios that are involved are like it, it's a lot of like studios that are either struggling or that are lower tier or that kind of need the assistance or ip that are kind of dormant so generally when we see stuff associated with embracer group it's like oh cool they're, they're keeping that alive. Like, Pandemic, like, various IP under under Pandemic are alive. You know, uh, what is it? Fucking, uh, God, what's that game called? Red Factions. Shit, shit like that, right? But the the other side of it is, it's it, it's still consolidation, mass consolidation of the of the industry. So, eh, I, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite in, in giving Xbox so much shit about Activision and then looking at Embracer acquiring Crystal Dynamics, Idos Montreal, and just being, eh, whatever. But if I'm being honest, I, I am a human. I am a hypocrite. This one, I I don't think this one bothers me as much. And I, in fact, I, I think this might be a good move for Crystal Dynamics, Idos Montreal, um, going going forward. Because it seems like, for the most part, Embracer Group has a very Xbox kind of mentality about how they handle their acquisitions, which is like, fuck off. Here's money. Go make your game. Have fun. We'll see you when you're ready. And that's good. And they don't. You know, they don't come from, like, really seedy, gross backgrounds like companies like Tencent or NetEase. So it's like, okay, cool. But here's the thing is Square Enix has had a troubled history with these developers for years now. And it hasn't been a great relationship. In fact, it's been a weird one. Because I, I think this this is best pointed to in 2020 when Square, or Square Enix released Final Fantasy VII Remake in the spring. And the game did extraordinarily well, reviewed amazingly well, and more importantly, sold like crack. And then later that fall, they release Crystal Dynamics Avengers game, which sold, you know, decent, obviously well, initially, because it's the, the Avengers IP. How's it not going to sell well? But it didn't sell nearly as well as they were expecting. They were expecting the next Destiny. What they got was a pretty successful multiplayer game. And then it didn't have really long legs and, and, and a huge community immediately blow up around the game like they were hoping. They wanted Destiny. They got you know, a cool game that came out, people played it, and then moved on. 
And immediately we saw that where it was a write-off for that quarter. How despite Final Fantasy VII remakes, absurdly strong sales, they lost money that quarter. Or that fiscal year, I believe it was. Because largely what they blamed was Avengers. Now obviously that Avengers license ain't cheap from Disney. The amount of marketing money they put into that obviously ain't cheap. But somehow... Something like Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I think a lot of us still have this old 90s mentality of like, yeah, those are nerdy games for like these little nerds that live in their mom's basement and play like these fucking Japanese weeb games. You know, something like that ends up being far more lucrative and successful for a publisher like Square Enix than Marvel's Avengers, an IP so incredibly relevant and popular, especially by 2020 standards. You are barely a year removed from Avengers Endgame when that game comes out. How is that anything but like the most successful game of the year, barring maybe Call of Duty, you know? So I think that's the prime example, right? But we look at Outriders, which they also say was a disappointment and underperformed. We look at Guardians of the Galaxy, which came out last fall, which was horribly marketed. People thought it looked really, really boring. And then Square Enix came out after the game release and said, this game sold poor. It didn't meet our expectations. We're not happy about it. Thankfully, Game Pass helped make up for it just a little bit. But you ask anyone who actually played Guardians of the Galaxy and like, this game's fucking awesome. Like I played it. I, I, I don't I'm not as high on it as I think most people are, but I'm I'm fairly high on it. I think it's a, a really good game. It's definitely a great Game Pass game now that it's in Game Pass. And it's definitely a great $30 game. And I think for $60, it's definitely worth it if you're a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan or you just like the kind of third person narrative, like uncharted style games. Uh it's it's a pretty damn good game and it ended up getting shafted. And the thing is it's not that Crystal Dynamics can't make good games. It's not that Idos Montreal can't make good games. It's not that People Can Fly can't make good games. Because all these developers have proven to be very capable. And we saw this happen years ago. Uh, what was it? It's like four years ago now. Where IO Interactive used to be owned by, by Square Enix. And then they were publishing the, the Hitman games. And then they, just, they were just butchering that. Trying to do episodic releases. And just not marketing it right. And just not getting it right. Despite those games being really well received by fans. And eventually Square Enix is like, you know what? Fuck it. This isn't working for us. And they let IO Interactive loose. And IO Interactive got to keep the Hitman IP of all things, which was crazy. And now we see IO Interactive is 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 hard at work on a... Wait, what are they? What are they what is, what's IO making? They're making a James Bond game. They're working on more Hitman and they're working on a James Bond game. They're doing great. Hitman 3 w- was done without Square Enix's help. And it sold like crack and it reviewed really well. And now they're working on a James Bond game. And I think we're going to see a similar thing with Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal. I think without Square Enix's clear lack of understanding the Western market and how to utilize the IP they have access to, I think these developers are going to be a little more free to explore whatever IP they want, however they want, make the game they want, and hopefully be backed by a publisher that can properly convey the value of these games. Because clearly Square Enix can't do it. Square Enix can somehow, that, that new Final Fantasy game, I, I wish I had numbers for it right now, but that new Final Fantasy spinoff game that just came out, Strangers of Paradise, I think it's called, Final Fantasy Origin Strangers of Paradise, that's like an absolute cringe piece of shit game, supposedly, I, I didn't play it, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak to it like that, but, you know, people are fucking hating it, memeing on it, it's a joke, game sold really, really well, like, it's surprisingly great for a spinoff game that had almost no fanfare or hype leading up to its release. And so clearly Square Enix knows what the fuck they're doing when it comes to their little precious Kingdom Hearts games where Goofy and Donald join anime number seven on an adventure to find the darkness in his hearts 
and, and do math equations and his dreams and all that bullshit. But when it comes to like, we got Spider-Man and Iron Man and Tomb Raider and Hitman and these are all beloved characters and franchises and games and historically these should all do absurdly well and we just can't fucking make it happen and make it work. And don't, and don't get me wrong, those, those Tomb Raider games have actually sold very well. And, and most of these games have sold very well, but for whatever reason, Square Enix always ends up looking at them like they're a loss. I think I, I saw a number this week. God, I wish I, I wish I referred to the tweet. Some analyst tweeted out the reboot Tomb Raider franchise. So 2013's Tomb Raider, 2015's uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and 2018 was it? 2018's Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which was Idos Montreal. The other two were Crystal Dynamics. Sold a combined like 38. I think it was like that. That trilogy sold like 38 million copies or something like that. That's very good. That is very good for a third-party AAA game. That you know, especially if I'm published by Square Enix, something from like Crystal Dynamics. That's 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 really good. So either Square Enix is butchering it with with production costs or marketing costs or or just expectations, just sales and performance expectations, or or something else. I don't know, but it looks like for the most part these games are performing pretty well. Generally pretty well liked, except for the case of Avengers, which seems like it was one of those like anthem situations where a publisher couldn't read the industry properly, forced a developer who wasn't apt to try and make a games as a service and said, well, now you do that. You know, Bioware, no more Mass Effect. Now you make games as a service. Give us Anthem. Square Enix looks at Crystal Dynamics and says, Crystal Dynamics, no more Tomb Raider, no more narrative driven third person action game. Now you make Avengers, but make it like Destiny. Aside from that one-off example, which to my understanding, Marvel's Avengers still sold pretty well, just not as well as they expected, it just seems like Square Enix's expectations are so out of line. They want this very unsustainable, very unrealistic, and Kronky and I were talking about this this week, and this is, I, I think, the, sweet, the short and sweet of it. Square Enix wants a very unrealistic and very unsustainable market of we invest high in a single project and we rake it in like fucking thieves. They want Fortnite, they want Destiny, they want that shit. But what they're getting is really high-budget AAA games with high-budget AAA costs and production time and all that. And they're getting a pretty decent return on investment. But they're in that kind of like Xbox OG, Xbox 360 era of games where it's like you, you put a lot of money into a game. You make a game over two to four years. You put the game out. It sells and reviews well. You go and make a sequel or you go and make something else. And they don't want that. They want... Boom, we invested five years into making this one project. It sold like crack, and now we can DLC and extend the life of it forever because it's multiplayer and online and games as a service and subscribe and battle pass and whatnot. And clearly that's what they're after, and it's not what they're getting. And I, th I, I think that Square Enix, is, that's what they were doing. They're like, let's just buy some Western developers. We'll go to Canada, Europe, U.S. We'll buy a couple Western teams with, some, with a good track record. And we'll just say, oh, American developers or, or European developers or Canadian developers, oh, they make, they make those money games. They, they make those games where it's like you buy the game and then you people just spend money on it forever and you make money like Destiny. We want that. And the, our Japanese developers will continue to do what they've always done. They'll make those 40-hour those games where some guy with perfectly uh, done emo hair will just meander on and on and on about dreams and his heart and getting stronger and shit like that. And we'll just make... Fuck you money off those single player games from our Japanese studios. And then we'll make fuck you times seven money from those Western games that just make money because their games as a service. And it's like, that's not how it works because it seems like with their Japanese teams, they're doing what's always worked for them. And they're doing what they know with these Western teams. They were always chasing trends or it seems like in recent years at the very least, that's what they were doing. So they, they want out, whatever. 
right? And you look at what these teams have done successfully. You look at these IP and these games, and I don't know, to me, Embracer Group looks like a better fit for them anyway. I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. Fuck Square Enix. If if they if they just want you to make these whale games and they just want you to make these absurdly unrealistic, like uh, high performing games, which let's just be honest, there's just not there's just not enough room in the industry for that many of these games. I I understand the player base in the in the world of gamers is huge, but let's be honest, there's just not enough room for a million Fortnites. And sooner or later, Square Enix and Ubisoft and all these developers in EA and all these developers that keep chase all the publishers rather that keep chasing this fucking whale money. I get it. You see it. You're jealous of Epic. You want what they have. That's not how this works. Not everyone can have a Grand Theft Auto like 2K. Not everyone can have a Minecraft like Xbox. Like like, like Xbox. Not everyone can have a fucking Destiny like Bungie does. It's just not how it works. And I, I I would I don't know why I'm giving advice to a publisher. I'm a fucking idiot. Like who who cares what I think? But it would behoove these fucking publishers at this point to just invest in your comp in your in your development team's strong suits. Crystal Dynamics makes phenomenal story driven third person action games. They should be doing what they were doing with the Tomb Raider trilogy, this reboot Tomb Raider trilogy, and rivaling the likes of Naughty Dog's Uncharted series. Instead of trying to shoehorn them into this Bungie-like competitor making a, a Marvel Destiny clone. And I know a lot, I haven't played the Marvel's Avengers game. I know Kronky and a lot of you out there are like, no, 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 I played that game. It's not what you think. It's a really good game. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm, in fact, I'm sure it's a fun game. But I'm saying it's not Crystal Dynamics. It's not what they're known for. It's not their strong suit. And I I bet you dollars to donuts if 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 you go back in time to when that game, when that deal was inked with Marvel and when that game was greenlit. If you went to Crystal Dynamics and said, here's the Avengers IP, Here are, here's the access to all of the Avengers characters, take this, take five years, and take an unlimited budget, and do what you will with it. They would not have come back with Marvel's Avengers. They would not. I'm telling you, that's not the game they would have come back with. This fucking quasi-single-player co-op, story-driven, with games-as-a-service aspect terrible monetization system with exclusive content on some platforms. That's not what we would have gotten. And so, I don't know, man. In fact, I think um, Guardians of the Galaxy from Eidos Montreal last year was a better representation of probably the kind of thing you would have got if you didn't try to force them to be Bungie when they were more of a naughty dog. But I digress. So, I, I don't know. I'm. It's insane because it's like, clearly Square Enix just wanted out. They realized this isn't working the way they want it to. This isn't going exactly how they planned. And they just want out because they sold these teams and all this IP for $300 million. And like I saw Jez Corden and obviously a way more capable, more intelligent, knowledgeable man of the industry than I am. Has way more access and understanding than I do. I'm not going to try to rival his knowledge against mine. But trying to explain why $300 million is actually a reasonable ask for this for this deal but I, I, man, I don't know if I agree with that, man. Three hundred million sounds like a fucking steal. That's barely more than Sony paid for Insomniac. And I understand Insomniac is a developer worth everything. They are one of the top five greatest developers of all time. I think they're worth they're they're worth a billion dollars if you if you ask me. Like fucking Insomniac, oh my god. But 
think about it. In Sony got just Insomniac and almost no IP with it because Sony owned almost every piece of IP Insomniac's ever made. They already owned Spyro, or they, they sold Spyro. Actually, Activision owned Spyro. But they owned Ratchet and Clank. They owned Resistance Fall of Man. You know, the only thing really that fucking Insomniac still owned when, when Sony bought them was Sunset Overdrive and that fucking uh, GameStop submarine game they made a few years back. I forget the name of it. That That's like a, a Metroidvania-style game. I forget the name of it. And whatever their their uh, VR projects were. But, you know, Sony got almost no IP from that and spent over $200 million on just Insomniac. Embracer is getting Crystal Dynamics, Idos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal, plus all their IP, including Tomb Raider, one of the most iconic fucking IP. And I understand... Tomb Raider in 2022 isn't as big as Tomb Raider in, you know, 1998. I get that. But fucking, <laughs> dude, $300 million. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. That tells me that Square Enix wanted to offload these teams. They just, they wanted out. And then the, the poetic justice of, of it all is, of course, Square Enix went on to talk about how they want to invest in the blockchain, and, and that's part of the offloading of a lot of their Western development talent. Is They want to invest more in the, you know, Japanese game development is what they know, and then invest in the blockchain, and then apparently <laughs> crypto investment or, like, blockchain investment or whatever this week is apparently at, like, 90% less in, in spending or whatever than it, than it was at the start of the year. Apparently, it's, like, crumbling, so... That, that brings me pleasure on so many fronts, but that's a different story for a different time, I suppose. But good. Fuck you. Fuck your NFTs. God, dude, if I see one more of those fucking monkey NFTs, I'm going to become a serial killer so fast it's not even funny. But anyway, dude, and this is the one that gets me. Legacy of Kane, man. You get Legacy of Kane. Just fucking go over. Get, get Amy, Amy Hennig back. Be like, fuck Star Wars. Forget about that shit. You're coming back over... You're coming over to, you're coming over to our side. You're coming back with Crystal Dynamics, or with IDOS. We're gonna do a new Legacy of Kane game. Like fucking do it. That is an IP. And the thing is, if there is any publisher out there that would that would invest in bringing something like Legacy of Kane back, it would be Embracer. And so I'm like, okay, like this is good shit. They got Deus Ex, which is a series that people love. Apparently, the last one sold a little soft, but people fucking love all of those games. Thief, the last one completely bombed, but the first one's really beloved. There's a lot they can do here. Anyway, so they got him for an absolute steal. Scranix wants to invest in the blockchain, and that's apparently backfiring, so that's great. They're going to continue to work on the little weeby games. Now, there was also the, the whole rumor that Sony was interested in buying Scranix. Now, I never believed for a second that was going to happen. I still don't think that's going to happen. I still don't think it's really likely to happen, but... You look at the acquisition, uh, potential acquisition of Square Enix now without this this added talent. It's a lot less attractive of a deal. Although I would I would assume that Sony's interest, if there was true murmurings of Sony acquiring Square Enix, had a lot more to do with Final Fantasy and a lot less to do with a game that's good like Uncharted, but not as well regarded as Uncharted like Tomb Raider. So there's there's that. Interesting though. Note though they are they are keeping other IP now. They don't own People Can Fly, the developer People Can Fly, but they do own the Outrider IP. They own Life is Strange. Do they own Don't Nod, the developers of it? I don't I don't remember. In Deck Nine, I don't think so. But anyway, so you know, Just Cause, which is made by Avalanche, but it's their IP. So they still have some Western IP. We'll see what they do with that. I 
I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of see that stuff stagnate. Although I, I, I'm sure we'll see more Life is Strange. But yeah, uh, Embracer Group acquired IDOS, Crystal, and uh, and Enix Montreal. Huge get for them. Huge loss for, for Square because I, I think what you're going to see is these teams are going to go on to do much better things without Square Enix. And I'm not necessarily saying that Square Enix is going to regret this, the relinquishing of these teams. But I am going to say that I wouldn't be surprised if we go on to see these teams be better than before without Square Enix now that they're hopefully under a publishing develop, uh, division that that understands this tier of developer and these tiers of games better than what what Square Enix has has put out with um, with, with their ownership of, of these teams. So there's that. Now, that's the biggest story by far. Now, we do have some other pretty notable stories, but nothing to dig into and sink our teeth into nearly to that extent. But big story for Xbox fans. So Microsoft have announced, confirmed their Xbox and Bethesda game showcase event. It is coming on June 12th. It will be held on Sunday. It's always a Sunday, usually in June. So not surprising timing there. Uh, But yeah, this is their E3 style event. Uh, Very exciting shit. Now, last year, you'll remember the logo had like the little globe, the Xbox logo, and had like that like hue of Halo Infinite. This year, it has a little like ship and like a little jet stream, a little hue of a Starfield to it. So that basically confirms that this is going to be the event where they showcase gameplay of Starfield and we see the game in action, learn all about it in in, in a real and more tangible way than what we've seen up to this point. So that that's I mean that's all but confirmed. We're we're gonna see Starfield. I can promise you that. But yeah, the announcement reads, the show will feature amazing titles coming from Xbox Game Studios, Bethesda, and our partners around the world. Um, Xbox and Bethesda's Game Showcase will include everything you need to know about uh, the diverse lineup of games coming soon to Xbox ecosystem, including upcoming releases to Game Pass, Xbox, and PC. The event will start at 10 a.m. Pacific or 1 p.m. Eastern time and will be streamed in over 30 languages on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, etc. And while E3 2022 has officially been canceled, the Game Awards founder, Jeff Keighley, has confirmed his digital summer Games Fest will re- recommence this year, probably in June. Haven't haven't really announced it yet, uh, but that will probably butt up close to Microsoft's Xbox and Bethesda showcase. Starfield, as I said, is pretty much a guaranteed to be there. So this is obviously exciting. We knew Xbox was going to do something like this. I expected literally this. It's always on a Sunday. It's always sometime in early to mid June. Um, and I picture basically this, just their their E3 replacement. Basically, what we got last year again. And I'm super excited for this uh, because now that Halo is finally out the gate and that Xbox Series X has like been on the market for a second, we're at the point where it's like we look to the horizon, we go, now what? You know? And obviously Starfield's gonna be their big thing. But Xbox has done, and this is the thing I complained about last summer that I got I took a lot of shit from you guys for because I know it was an unpopular take, but Xbox has done so much announcing, announcing, announcing over the past two years with games. And we haven't seen them deliver as many of these games that they're announcing. So what I want to see more than like, oh, and we're also announcing this game and this game. What I would like to see is like that Fable gameplay, you know, that Perfect Dark gameplay. I don't think we're getting Perfect Dark. You know, fucking that new Forza game that was teased, the next Forza Motorsport, like games as a service type thing. Obviously Starfield, Avowed, all this shit. Like the like they're all announced, you know, like what, what the fuck? Uh, Contraband, what the fuck is that game, you know? Obviously, we're going to see uh, Redfall, more of that, because that's supposed to come out this year. So I'm pretty excited uh, for this event, but my hope for it is is that this year, unlike last year, is more focused on announcing dates, showing gameplay, 
it's cementing the things we already know have been announced and are on the way so that we can start to like really get a picture of what the next two years of Xbox looks like in terms of what games are coming when, as opposed to taking last year's approach of like, all right, in 2020, we announced blah, 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 a thousand million games. In 2021, instead of showing you updates on those games, we're just going to announce 20,000 more games and whatever, you know? And so I'm just hoping that we're going to get some really deep gameplay dives and updates and announcements for release dates, hopefully, of some of these games we've been highly anticipating. Like, come on, guys. Fable, at this point, like, please, for the love of Christ, show us Fable. But, uh, yeah. So that is... That there's, I mean, obviously not not much to say on it. We're just uh, announcing the announcement that it is coming soon. That is, uh, at the time this podcast goes live, it's a, li- it, you know, it's about five weeks from now. So, mark your calendars. Request some time off work. I'll be doing a big chunky podcast uh, right after the show, so I'm looking forward to that, of course. But guys, we will uh, have very much to talk about very soon. So stay tuned. Next up, speaking of announcements for things that are a ways off, but very exciting. This week, Infinity Ward officially confirmed the next game in the Call of Duty series will be called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which comes as no surprise as we knew this for a fact. But the developer posted the game's logo on their Twitter page alongside the hashtag Modern Warfare 2. Activision previously confirmed the next game would be a sequel to 2019's Modern Warfare, but this is the first time Modern Warfare 2 has been officially confirmed as a title. As was first reported by VGC back in September last year, Modern Warfare 2's campaign will be centered around a drug war against Colombian cartels, which sounds fucking awesome. I can't wait to see that. Sources said the single-player story is a grittier take on Modern Warfare 2019's campaign, with more close-quarter combat, trickier decision-making, and the classic Call of Duty set-piece moments fans have come to expect. I don't know why, but I'm so fucking pumped for this game's campaign. I thought Modern Warfare 2019 had an excellent campaign. And everything about the setting, where they're taking it, trying to make it even more gritty, even more uh, decision-oriented, and, and, and maybe a little harder to stomach. Maybe some, like, no-Russian-esque missions. I want it all. I feel like they have that expectation of topping OG Modern Warfare 2 with with that kind of stuff. And um, I think they're going to try to do that, which is going to be quite a challenge. But I'm excited to see what they come up with. Uh, also, the story wraps up with... Also, VGC reported that Modern Warfare 2 will release alongside a brand new map for Warzone, the third in the in such an all-new arena to be launched for the Battle Royale spinoff. Activision officially confirmed earlier in the week that the new Call of Duty Warzone is in development and will be revealed later this year. So I'm expecting a new map for Warzone with Modern Warfare 2, and then they'll announce the new Warzone, and that will probably release next spring, kind of with the same release cadence as OG Modern Warfare 2019 and uh, OG Warzone. The announcement was made as part of Activision Blizzard's Q1 financial results last week, where it was claimed that the new Warzone will be built from scratch alongside the new Modern Warfare. So I know the last story in this story seemed a little old by uh, by, by the time you're listening to this, uh, just by sheer value that Last Thursday, right after the podcast went up, a bunch of really big news decided to drop, but fuck me, that's how life goes. Guys, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm sorry, I'm excited for this. Just um, just knowing like how much shit and hate Black Ops Cold War got, and then even more than that, how much Vanguard got, obviously people are not super high on Call of Duty, but the news of Call of Duty transitioning to Microsoft's ownership, still staying available on PlayStation despite that. Modern Warfare, the the series everyone really loves instead of like another Black Ops or another Sledgehammer game. Also really exciting. And then on top of that, we have... Um, now on top of that, there's the news breaking that apparently when this game releases, 
the next year we won't get another Call of Duty. They'll just continue to support this game. So this game is here to stay and be supported so you can rest assured knowing your purchase is worth your time and money because you'll be able to continue to invest in this game and not have to just give it up eight months later for the next Call of Duty. So I feel like there's a lot culminating here, especially built off the goodwill of Modern Warfare 2019 and the original Warzone release, to where this can be one of those games where the game is phenomenal, the audience reception is surprisingly not fucking vitriolic and, and, and toxic. And we can all just be hyped and excited and hold hands together and sing Kumbaya and enjoy Modern Warfare again, just like the old days. And if I close my eyes really tight, my hairline will unrecede and I will be young again. And we will all play Xbox 360 and say racist shit and threaten to fuck each other's moms in the Xbox player chat lobby. No, wait, no, not that part. Not that part. We won't, we won't do that part. But no, this is a... I don't know. This is really exciting to me. Obviously, you guys know, as a once-lapsed COD player, I've been coming back to the franchise over these past few years, uh, much to the annoyance of, I'm sure, most of the audience, as most hardcore gamers seem to really not like Call of Duty. But I really do think this game is going to be excellent. I'm really quite excited to see the campaign in action. Um, and, and to just add to it, I think it has to be noted, the most important thing about the way they're announcing this is that You'll note that back in the heyday of Call of Duty, Call of Duty games used to always be released in November and announced in May. That was always the cadence. You announce the game in May with a teaser and a title, show the game off in detail at E3 in June, and then release the game in November. And we've seen Call of Duty get away from that in recent years as the franchise continues to garner more and more of that kind of fuck Call of Duty, it's tired and old, who cares about it, all they do is release another one, and release another one, blah, blah, blah. We send them kind of get away from the whole like, okay, we don't need to do the big red carpet thing because people are just going to give a shit for that. So they do more of like the, we'll, we'll announce the game in, you know, two months before it comes out in Warzone or Battle Royale mode or whatever in like this in-game event and that way we're marketing directly to our most hardcore players and they can kind of control the messaging in a way that still keeps it positive for the more modern Call of Duty audience. But this, everything about this announcement, talking about Modern Warfare right now at, 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 in May of 2022, just like the old announcement cycle, which also completely undercuts the fact that people are hating on Vanguard, player count is dropping, sales are underwhelming compared to previous Call of Duty games. This is their way of basically saying, okay, we get it, you don't like Vanguard, fuck Vanguard, we'll, we'll, we'll race over that, let's just focus on Modern Warfare 2. And also paying a tribute to the old kind of marketing cycle, announcement cycle of, of Call of Duty games. So it's weird, it feels like, kind of like with 2019 Modern Warfare, but in more ways than one, it's like we're, we're stepping back into the the heyday of Call of Duty in a way. Everything from the way the game is announced to the way the game's coming out and, and, and what series it is we're getting. And I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm pumped for Modern Warfare 2. I think it seems like a lot of people are really hyped for this game. I can't wait to see it in action, hopefully this summer, um, at Summer Game Fest or Xbox's Showcase. Dude, if, if it gets shown at Xbox's Showcase, that'd be fucking sick. But obviously, we don't know what the marketing agreement is still for PlayStation, so maybe it'll be, get shown with PlayStation. I don't know. But long story short, game looks game sounds fucking awesome. I'm excited for more, and uh, now we know the confirmation of it. All right, let's do our two wrap-up stories. Next up, VGC reports that Ubisoft Montreal, speaking of the devil, Ubisoft Montreal has taken over the development duties for Prince of Persia, Sansa Time Remake. The game has already been delayed on several occasions and was previously in development at Indian studio Ubisoft Poon and Microsoft Mumbai. The development of Prince of Persia, quote, Sansa Time Remake will now be led 
by Ubisoft Montreal, the very birthplace of the epic Sands of Time trilogy, the company said in a statement on Tuesday. The decision of the important step in, in this team building upon the work achieved by Ubisoft Poon and Mumbai are, and will now take time the time that they need to regroup and scope out the game to deliver the best experience to remake an all-time classic when it's ready. We want to thank you for your continued support and patience through the development. Rest assured that we'll update you on the progress at a future update. Prince of Persia Sands of Time Remake has been in development for two and a half years when it was announced in September of 2020. The game was originally planned for release in January 21 and has suffered multiple delays and was most recently scheduled for release during Ubisoft's current fiscal year, which ends in March 31st, 2023. But today's announcement suggests it will no longer probably be the case. Now, the interesting thing is when this game was announced, we were under the impression that it was mostly just going to be kind of like up-res HD with some quality of life improvements, but not like a from-the-ground-up, complete total remake, reimagining of Prince of Persia, you know? So the fact that it's been this delayed and this troubled in development is like, what the fuck? And you got to hope maybe what they're doing is going back to the well and doing a from-the-ground remake and kind of like... The only thing I can think is, originally this was supposed to be a remaster more of a remaster and less of a remake and it was something to throw a bone to prince of persia fans and have you know a little supplemental game in 2021 but when ubisoft started running into all this trouble they've been having the past two years which is all these free-to-play multiplayer games that keep bombing and really heavy delays on big projects like far cry and skull and bones and stuff like that and losing all this money and games kind of underperforming for them a little bit compared to what they're expecting really not having anything go their way except for assassin's creed at the moment I think what we're seeing is Ubisoft is going back to the drawing board. They're a little, they're a little frantic right now with a, with a, a gap in release schedules and in 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 a content drought. And I think they're saying, well, we got this Prince of Persia thing in development. What if instead of trying to make this like a supplemental little nice fan servicey remaster type remake, we take this like more in house, make it a ground up reimagining of the game, and then try to push it out there as like a big fall release. We try to God, let's try to do like a God of War 2018 Prince of Persia. And I don't think they're going to go nearly to that extent. That's not what I really mean to suggest. But just to say that maybe they're going to try to put a little more effort into really doing this right rather than just being like, yeah, yeah, it's in 4K and textures are updated and it's faster, 60 FPS, whatever, you know? So. That is my completely uneducated speculation. They're looking for a way to make this more of a, a big AAA holiday release for them and less of a supplemental additional thing. But I could be completely wrong. It could just be another Skull and Bone situation where they have a game that's having a troubled development cycle and they can't get it under control, which I hope is not the case because I, I'm, I'm sad to keep seeing Ubisoft struggle with this shit, but it seems like they're really not having a great time over there on Team Ubisoft. In fact... We're seeing more news start to break out, like right now, actually, today, as I was recording this, where apparently now um, our, our update from last week about the potential Blackstone takeover and investment is, is being countered because uh, CEO and owner or CEO main shareholder, Ease Gilmont, and, and his family are trying to acquire more and more of a controlling share in Ubisoft so they can stop any kind of takeover which is starting to echo a little bit of the vivendi takeover attempt from about six or seven years ago so it seems like we're having another one of those where they're trying to earn enough of a controlling share of the company to where they can stop any potential takeover with with their voting power and so it's conflicting because last week we're talking about how maybe ubisoft is trying to 
say, you know, we, we, we don't know how to save the ship right now. And it's not sinking, but it's not in a great direction. And rather than investing all the resources and talented, talent when we're in this 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 troubled development stage of like our IP aren't coming together, our games aren't coming out in a decent clip, we're kind of hemorrhaging money on some of these projects. And we're having all this issue with higher ups, with sexual harassment claims and, and leadership shakeups and all that. Maybe now is the time to leave the ship. You know, but now we're seeing quite the opposite where it looks like the, the Gilmont family is like, no, we're doubling down. This is our baby. Ubisoft is ours. We will save it. We will take care of it. We will protect it and we won't let anyone else have access to it. So they seem it, 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 based off this news that we're getting today in these initial thoughts and feelings about it. It seems like there is some true desire to right the wrongs and reinvent Ubisoft and get it back on track. And I'm, I'm not saying Ubisoft's completely fucked. You know, they're not in that dire of a situation, but. It's clear that they're not in as good a spot as they were in four years ago, ten years ago. You know, they don't have this really, really solid release clip of like this year it's a a new Assassin's Creed, and this year it's a new Far Cry, and this year it's a new t- uh, Ghost Recon, and they're all well received and they're all good games. Now it's like people are getting tired of this game. People are expecting more from this game. This game is in development hell. This game is behind a year, and this game had a leadership shake up, shake up, and. We're having a hard time getting a new IP off the ground because everything we do is fucking weird and has terrible names like fucking Phoenix Immortal Rising or, or X Defiant because we, we can't name shit for crap because we're fucking French or something. I don't know. So hopefully what we end up getting with this Prince of Persia game is worth the wait. Not so much for, you know, the gamers, but more so. I, I mean, yeah, of course, for Prince of Persia fans. But, you know, so that Ubisoft can have a win under their belt. It'd be nice to just see them kind of do well because I think... Ubisoft is one of the more respectable big publishers, and I think a healthy Ubisoft is good for the for the for the ecosystem for the for the industry. And I want to see them continue to thrive and do well because they they do cool shit, and I want to see them stick around. But a lot of questionable shit happening over there from leadership decisions and shakeups and and games being greenlit and things just not coming together production wise, on top of just some potential really weird acquisition um, attempts and, and things like that that are a little, little concerning. So I have to continue to keep an eye on Ubisoft. But, guys, it's, that's it for all of our big news. Let's wrap up with a, a, a new Game Pass um, list, list of Game Pass games coming and leaving the platform soon. So from Xbox Wire, we got a couple games that are either available now or coming soon. So from the available now category, Game Pass subscribers can look forward to Loot River and NBA 2K22, which are available right now on cloud and console and PC for Loot River. Um, through Game Pass. As for coming soon, we've got on Cloud Console and PC on May 5th, so the time you're listening to this, available day one with Game Pass, Trek and Yomi. In addition to that, we've got Citizen Sleeper, also coming May 5th. Cloud Console and PC, available day one Game Pass. Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair Anniversary Edition. I, I keep meaning to try to play one of these fucking Danganronpa games. But coming Cloud Console and PC on May 10th. And then additionally on May 10th, we also got Eudin Chronicles Rising on Cloud Console and PC, and This War of Mine Final Cut, Cloud Console and PC. So pretty notable titles there. And then lastly on May 12th, NHL 22 is coming to console via EA Play. Another big game, so a lot of, a lot of good content coming in, uh, especially if you're a weeb. Now, leaving Game Pass, we do have some pretty big ones leaving. So on May 10th, the Grand Theft Auto San Andreas Definitive Edition is leaving Cloud and Console. That's right, before they could even fix the GTA Trilogy remaster or whatever. They're removing it from Game Pass. And then on May 15th, we're losing a couple of notable ones. Enter the Gungeon on Cloud Console and PC. Final Fantasy X and X2 HD Remaster on Cloud and or on Console and PC. Remnant from the Ashes on Cloud Console and PC. Steep from Console and Cloud. 
the catch carp and course on cloud console and pc and then finally on cloud console and pc on may 15th we are losing the wild at heart which i have no idea what that is now that's gonna do for all of our big news this week guys let's round out with a couple of important enough news stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warrant their own discussions we have a healthy amount of these this week so vgc relays that the ceo of intel has warned that the global chip shortage of semiconductors is now likely going to last until 2024 this story drives me nuts because I deal with this shit all day, every day at my job. And now we get to talk about it here. Originally, CNBC reported that they expected issues uh, which caused problems and issues and shortages for PS5, Xbox Series X, and graphics cards that would end, wouldn't end until sometime next year. However, now Pat Gelsinger is reporting, sorry, CNBC, that the predictions have now been updated and chip shortages are expected to last into 2024. So hope you're not trying to buy a car anytime soon or uh, a, a new NVIDIA card, or a PS5, or an Xbox. Shortages are likely to continue to be uh, to exist because of key manufacturing tools that aren't readily available as hoped, meaning that there aren't enough chips being made to supply demand. Next up, on a lighter note, images claiming to show Forza Motorsport, the next Forza Motorsport, running on last-gen Xbox One consoles, have apparently leaked online. The images were posted on subreddit Gaming Leaks and Rumors. They reportedly verified by the site's moderators as legitimate. So far, the next Forza Motorsport has only been announced for Series X and S, although most of the first-party games have been cross-gen console PC titles, so of course we'll be on PC. But if authentic, possibly the image originated from the closed test developer Turn 10 has held for the racing installment, it's possible that the last-gen version may be included as only part of the testing since 10 Turn claimed that it would be that it was only providing parts of the new game. So apparently some testing or development-related issue has it running on older hardware, but it's meant to be a next-gen-only game. Who knows? It would be surprising if cross-gen version was planned, considering Turn 10's previous claims that the next-gen game would de- deliver a huge generational leap. And Forza Motorsports for Xbox Series X was announced in 2020 and described as a reimagining of the series. At the time, Turn 10's creative director Dan Greenwalt, creative director Dan Greenwalt, told Xbox that the game was in early development, but damn oh damn probably not gonna see it this year but i hope we do vgc also reports that a title of the official all elite wrestling game is aw fight forever now this is a notable game because let me get into it real quick confirming recent reports the name of the console and pc title was officially announced on wednesday two wrestlers set uh set to be included in the game are also revealed in this announcement and they are nyla rose and chris Statelander, whatever. I don't know anything about wrestling, but the reason I bring this up is because this game is being made by AW in conjunction with Ukes, who are the guys that used to make the 2K WWE games that were super beloved for many, many years until 2K got rid of Ukes and tried to go with a cheaper developer to make a more of a turn and burn kind of affordable wrestling franchise. That went terribly wrong for them. I forget the name of the game. It was the one that was released like two years ago. It was complete dog shit. Completely broken, buggy, wacky mess. You can see the video game Donkey video on it. It's actually one of the funniest fucking things in the world. The, the, the game is completely underbaked, underdeveloped, and not ready for prime time, and it's an absolute mess. It was so bad, um, that the, and they burned bridges with Japanese developer Yukes, who've worked on the series for so many years, that basically last year they just didn't release a wrestling game, and now Yukes is working with AEW directly to make a, a uh, wrestling game for them. So 2K's loss for sure. But uh, wrestling fans will probably be very pleased to see that game. Now, VGC also reports that the sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order will be released in 2023 for new-gen systems, it's been claimed. VentureBeat reporter Jeff Grubb, who always makes the podcast, made the claim during his premium giant bomb show, Grubb Snacks, 
uh, quote, Star Wars Jedi 2 is going to be a next-gen only game where it's PS5, Series X, and S, and, of course, PC only. One of the reasons is that they're going to be able to do that is because it's not coming out until 2023. The game is not is for sure now not coming out until 2023. A lot of rumors suggested that it was a 2022 release. In fact, we talked about that not too long ago. So apparently, got some really reliable news because uh, Jeff Grubb, usually one of the more reliable sources out there, saying don't expect it this year and don't expect it on your Xbox One. F. VGC reports that Crytek have announced that the development of Crisis 4 is being led by uh, Matisse and Engstrom, something European, I'm sorry, who has been recruited from IO Interactive. Most recently, Engstrom, Engstrom was game director for Hitman 3 at IO, where he worked for almost eight years. Prior to that, he spent most of the decade at Ubisoft studio Massive Entertainment, who make The Division. VGC have relayed that Battlefield 2042 could join Xbox Game Pass's library soon, according to store listings as spotted by XGP. Just like FIFA 22 did last week, Battlefield 2042's Xbox listing has been updated to mark its inclusion in EA's Play service, which is including Game Pass. So at the time of this publishing, there's no announcement made, but pay attention. This could be happening very soon. Yes, I've been waiting for this game to come to Game Pass because that's when I'm going to play it. It's a good game. I, I feel like people are too hard on it. I don't know. I, I at least enjoyed my experience with it, is what I mean to say. I like the portal mode. Fuck off. And lastly, VGC reports that Blizzard have announced Warcraft Arclight Rumble for Android and iOS devices. Yes, the free-to-play title was revealed during a live stream on Tuesday. And it says, it's a mobile strategy, fast-paced hero collector and villain collection game that also has a vast PvE campaign. Game director Adam Kugler said. It also has dungeons and raids and PvP co-op and everything you'd expect from a Warcraft game from Blizzard. The only reason we had to talk about a Blizzard iOS game is because Microsoft's buying Blizzard and Activision. Fuck us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to read that story. Now we're all worse off for knowing there's a Warcraft mobile game coming, but Cronky, maybe you'll be interested in that. All right, guys. That's it for all of our news this week. Now let's round out the podcast. A couple little light closing segments. Now we've got 12 new games coming to Xbox this week through Xbox Wire. I won't jump through all of them because fuck you. Uh, but I do want to shout out in particular, well, C- Citizen Sleeper, just because one, it has a cool um, art style and it's launching into Game Pass. So maybe take a look at that. I'm not really sure what it is. It looks like it's a uh, inspired by tabletop RPGs. Fuck that. Uh, but no, that's not that's not what I want to talk about. What I would like to talk about is Trek to Yomi, which is out now at the time you're listening to this. Also available in Game Pass. We mentioned it just a little bit ago. This game looks awesome. It looks like a it's like a 2.5D black and white samurai like movie kind of like perspective, and it's a uh, it, lo- it looks very cool. It's like Ghost of Tsushima in a 2D uh, stylish uh, hack and slash kind of game, and uh, I, I I it just looks really cool. I'm really excited to give this game a try this weekend. And uh, based on my recommendation alone, I assume you're going to. And if you don't, I will pick you up by your feet and hang you for 27 minutes before I let you down. All the blood will rush your head and you will feel dizzy. So don't let me down. Now, aside from that, I do want to say, hey, it's May. We got new games of gold. So let's go into those real, real quick, as the children say these days. We've got for the month of May, Yoku's Island Express, which is available all throughout May. Really excited about this because when this game came to Switch when it first came out years ago, I came so close to buying this game like a million times before I was like, ah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And now it's on Game Pass or Games of Gold rather and I don't have to buy it. Ha ha ha. Patience won, won this time. I don't know. Apparently it's like a fucking like golfing 
platforming kind of game, like mini golf platformer thing. I don't know. It sounds fun. The Inner World Last Wind Monk is available from May 16th to June 15th. Never heard of that game, but whatever. Hydro Thunder Hurricane, Xbox 360 game, available May 1st to 15th. And Viva Pinata Party Animals is available Xbox 360 game, May 16th through May 31st. And that's going to do it for all of our games of gold. And it's also going to do it for our podcast this week, guys. Thank you for sticking along with us. I was trying to get this one to an hour and 20 to an hour and 30 minutes in length. And we hit two hours. So I say I did good. Now, well, we'll edit down and get a couple minutes shaved off. But anyway, guys, I'm going to wrap it up now. I want to say a very special thank you, guys. Um, also, just I'll, I'll tag this at the end because I know most people don't even make it to the end. So only probably the kinds of people who would be inclined to even follow me on Twitch would see this. But... Guys, I just want to give a big shout-out to those who follow me on Twitch and, and hang out on Monday nights. Uh, I've been doing Twitch streams weekly for almost a full year now. This July will mark a year. Um, it's crazy to think we've been doing it 10 months. But, yeah, it's 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 been a, a, a little bit of a fun time and also a little bit deterring. Um, unlike the podcast, you know, the podcast, I, I expected to go absolutely nowhere and never find a single listener. But Xbox On just picked right up and immediately started gaining traction and people listen to it and i'm grateful for every day and i guess i got a little um egotistical and a little uh cocky when i started my twitch stream because i i thought you know maybe i'll get a little bump from podcast listeners and then maybe it will just slowly grow and grow and grow and i've had a lot of frustration with twitch just personally over the past few months because twitch has never um really grown we we hit a we hit a peak and then just kind of stalled and we just kind of kind of hanging out there for a long time and twitch is a hard platform to grow on really the only way to grow on twitch is to have a platform elsewhere on the internet and to transfer that platform over to twitch for the most part um so the only way for me to really grow it it feels like is to just announce on the podcast hey i'm on twitch every monday night lightning extreme we hang out we play halo we play sonic we play zombie mods on call of duty we play whatever um we have a good time we dick around and we goof off and um Sometimes it's hard to grow it, and I get really dis- discouraged by the lack of growth. And some some weeks, fewer people show up than others. But today, I was just thinking about how insane it is, though, and and how it's pretty selfish of me to really fixate on those numbers because I remember multiple attempts at at YouTube channels and Twitch channels in 2014 and 2015 and 2017. All these years, I tried and tried, and all these little things that never worked out. Xbox On was the first thing that ever really materialized for me, and. I distinctly remember what it was like to sit down in front of my Kinect and start up a stream on Mixer or Twitch and just play for an hour, play for an hour and a half, play for two hours, nothing. Maybe one viewer, lose the viewer, zero viewers, whatever. And I know that's an experience a lot of people have. And so I just want to take this as an opportunity to express my gratitude to those of you who have supported uh, the Twitch page. And just to kind of recognize how humbling it is and what a blessing it is that anyone supports any of this stuff at all because it's crazy to think that pretty much every Monday night, yeah, there have been duds where we've only had like three people show up. But generally speaking, every Monday night, I just hit live on my computer and within a matter of minutes, you know, between six and 10 people are just there watching and and we start chatting and we have fun we have discussions and we goof off and we're just stupid. And I understand what a privilege it is to have that and what a blessing it is. And I realize that's not something that is... I, that's not, that's nothing I'm entitled to, and it's nothing that's a guarantee. So, I just want to say to those of you who have supported, of course, the podcast. I don't mean to make to act like I'm not grateful if you support the podcast, but not my Twitch. But I just want to especially highlight my Twitch since that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Uh, but to those of you who have taken the time to 
follow on Twitch or show up to a stream or drop by and say hi. I just want to let you know it really does mean a great deal to me. And um, it's it's truly a privilege and a blessing to be able to know that pretty much any time I hit that go live button, someone, someone somewhere is going to show up. I know a lot of people would kill to have even you know, the 80 something followers we have and the six to 10 concurrent viewers that we have. And I don't want to take that for granted. And I don't want, you know, to sit here and get disheartened when I know there are people in this audience who absolutely are out there supporting. And, uh, I want, you to know, I'm, I, I see you and I'm, I gr- I'm grateful for you and your support. So that's just a little mushiness at the end of the show, but I just wanted to do that shout out and just, uh, share my appreciation Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you so much as always. If you care to rate the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, it means a great deal. It helps a lot. Follow uh, follow on Twitch. Subscribe on YouTube. God, I'm supposed to be working on another YouTube uh, video for my other channel, but I'm just being a lazy asshole on that, so I do apologize. But guys, as always, you guys really uh, make all this 100% worth doing, and uh, I appreciate you all. So I hope you have a great week. Hope you stay safe and play a lot of video games and eat some good food. And until next week, power your dreams.